football group is doing. Last week they had Brady. This week they got Brady. We're doing it. We're literally doing it differently from everybody else. Hey, as a matter of fact, moving forward from this point on, I will not make reference to PFL. Do you not understand that they are that way because you're Joe Flacco? And you just like to discredit things that people deserve credit for. That you can't possibly be expected to defend that. Talk about the game, fam. So Who cares about what people think about us. Yeah, I like football, I like football season, all the things that go with it. If you want to see me pitch to Sam, Sam try to hit me. See what I got left here at 39 years old. Uh, you can donate. It's uh, I'll, I'll tweet it out later today, Sam. It's his pinned tweet at pff underscore Sam. Yep. And it's all for uh, for the animals. So uh, have yeah. fun. yes, and we will have it. Um, we'll put it in the show description as well on YouTube and wherever the podcast, the audio version of the podcast is, which I acknowledge is more of a pain in the ass to get to than just the YouTube bit. Yes. Still, it's not that hard to find. Go to the GoFundMe, donate money, see me get probably hit with a baseball unintentionally. All right, unintentionally for sure. I would never hit you on purpose. I don't uh, think you could hit me on purpose. I, I'm way more concerned easy. about you, you fr- accidentally fly doing Fly your it. front shoulder. Actually, you know what? One time I was supposed to hit somebody on purpose. I missed him twice, and it was like, <laughs> all right. Just, you yeah. ruin the moment of like, hey, I'm about to start a brawl with you. You just kind of ruin it when yeah. everybody knows. Right. Yeah. I mean, it becomes more of a funny thing at that In point. In my old age, though, I am completely against baseball players throwing pitches at each other. Oh, yeah? Yeah, completely against it. I think it's childish. <laughs> I think it's unnecessary. Firing okay. a baseball at somebody because you're mad. Because it's usually for something stupid. Like, ooh, you hit too far of a home run. And ooh, you watch the home run too much. And then people, the next time you, you hit them, and in my old age, I think it's childish and stupid. Well, that part's stupid. But what if it's like for a good reason? Like, what if the guy's just a dick? Yeah, you know, every now and again. Maybe. Pick your spots, though. For not, the, not for the reasons that, that was, are usually out there. That was the fun thing about, like, rugby and soccer is that there's always, you know, there's always a moment where a guy's just being a pain in the ass. And you're like, well, okay, fine. Yeah. And you can Did you know I've got a ball? And I'm dish out a little bit of pain. Yeah. All right. Let's get into all the action here. We previewed Thursday Night Football yesterday on our midweek show. Don't forget, we're doing that extra Wednesday show, YouTube and uh, audio. And also... We called uh, Jalen Smith going to the Packers on the PFF NFL Daily. We did. That was definitely that was one of the teams we took a look. We we broke down and we said, look, the Packers are thin at linebacker, and uh, that is where Jalen Smith has signed. Yep. So it's him, and I mean, he might step right in as a starter with Devondre Campbell. So all yeah. I'm saying is, you know, the Daily has a track record of uh, predicting the future, so you should probably listen to it. Today's Daily, we get into some player eval stuff because you wrote the first quarter All Pro Team. That's not predicting the future. That's, that's it is. Fair. It is more more looking back, but always. Listen to the daily as well. Um, so again, Ram Seahawks tonight. We previewed that on yesterday's show. So you have a little extra day. Of- <laughs> Just my my well cultivated reputation as an asshole is finally starting to cash in. Big uh, Ramon Foster from his radio show is going to put some money into the the kitty. <laughs> Ramon, oh, I love it. He's been waiting for this opportunity for years. Sam finally gets his comeuppance. Oh, I love that you tagged that. Yeah. But now, now they're all going to be relying on you being able to actually hit me deliberately. I hope this doesn't open the door for like <laughs> Steve plays defensive tackle <laughs> against Ramon Foster or something like that. Could you imagine me and my pad level against an NFL guard? Well, that's the fun. Like here, defend 
defend a duo at defensive right. tackle. <laughs> That's the kind of fun thing about this is that because it's just you and me, there's a very limited scope of ways where you could suffer pain inflicted by my hands. Are we going to do like a rugby scrum at some point? I do kind of like the idea of you like you playing football against me and trying to tackle or something like that. I kind of like that as a concept. Uh, the last time Obviously, we played football against each other, it did not go well for Sam. Well, it didn't go well for you either. It's just on that specific play. And that Absolutely. was frankly down to the absurd throwing ability right. of Zach Robinson. Can we stay on track here? We've got football. Okay, let's preview. go. Um, so we're going to start with the biggest games of the week, and we'll, get, we'll touch on every game at least a little bit. Um, but probably the biggest game of the week, Buffalo Bills at the Kansas City Chiefs. It's Sunday night football. The Chiefs are favored by two and a half. If you're looking at the PFF power rankings, pff.com, uh, remember, power rankings are about how good is the team, not like, oh, give me the 4-0 team and then the 3-1s and, and then the 2-2s. Two and twos. We don't do it that way because we need more data than just four weeks. The power rankings have the Chiefs first and the Bills third. Yeah. So it's a battle of the number one and number three teams, the two top teams in the AFC per the PFF power rankings. It is. Um, this is a really interesting game. Uh, obviously, rematch of the AFC championship game, potential preview of this year's AFC Championship game, even though each team has kind of stumbled a little bit at some point. Buffalo dropping that week one game, Kansas City stumbling a couple of times. Um, but I think Kansas City's offense has only been slowed down this season by Kansas City's offense. Their turnovers have been the only thing that have cost them at all. Buffalo's defense statistically is really good right now, but what, like, what happens when they face the Chiefs? Like This is a whole different animal coming, uh, or not coming to town, staying in town. Um, whole different animal that you're facing this this week. So to me, I don't think they're going to be slowing down the Chiefs offense much at all. So it really, all the focus becomes on can Josh Allen and the Buffalo offense keep pace? Like this has shootout written all over it because I, I just don't think that Kansas City's offense has actually been anything other than incredible outside of turnovers. You don't think they're slowing them down at all? I mean, not relative to anybody else. Like how? So the Bills. How much do you think they're slowing them down? Again, if you're a longtime listener here, you're, this is familiar territory. Defense tends to fluctuate a little bit. It's tough to just to go say this defense is great, therefore they'll always be great. It's often dictated by who you play. The Bills have been the best defense in the league this year. They've got the highest coverage grade. Their coverage grade on 20 plus yard throws is 90. No one else in the league is over 65. I mean, it's absurd. Right. They are the only team in the league that has not given up a pass of 20-plus yards in the air yet this season. Right, but on the other hand, how many of the quarterbacks they face are even capable of throwing the ball 20 yards That's in the air? That's what I'm going to go and break down. You've okay. got uh, Big Ben yes. in week one. You have a couple plays of Tua, uh -huh. and then mostly Jacoby Brissett, who checked the heck down quite a bit. Careful now. Washington football team. Lifelong Jacoby Brissett fan True. over here. You're also a lifelong Taylor Heineke fan. Yep. So two of your favorite quarterbacks face the Bills, so it's pretty good. Well, and I never your said least were... favorite quarterback, Davis Mills, in a yes. rainstorm. Yes. Um, and that's a big part of, you know, the Bills' coverage grade. Right, there. this is my point. Like, look at those four guys and then compare that and contrast it with Patrick Mahomes over here leading the Chiefs' offense. Like, this, the, the Bills, they are, they are the defensive equivalent of the Carolina Panthers last week, the Denver Broncos last week. It's like, okay, sure, everything looks fine. On the other hand, who have you played? Yeah, it's a... That's a fair question. And uh, you know, our guy Timo, uh, part of the R&D team over here, he had a tweet the other day that kind of sums up the NFL. The Chiefs have the number 32 ranked defense, depending on, uh, in a lot of ways, yep. the way you want to look at it. I mean, I, I don't know where they are in yards, but I think every way you break it down, the Chiefs are among the worst, right? But the Chiefs are still number one in our power rankings because offense, 
dictates the action, right? Mm-hmm. And there's a history. First off, there's a history of their defense being a little bit better than they've been now yeah. with the same players. And they've but there's they a history faced, of Kansas City's offensive success. And they face a real gauntlet of offenses. They have. Like if, if anything, so this is a game where Buffalo's defense is being skewed positive by the fact that they haven't played anybody, and Kansas City's defense is being skewed negative by the fact that they played a lot of pretty good offenses. But they've still been extremely efficient. Yes. Um, big, uh, Patrick Patrick Mahomes, uh, grade wise, isn't outstanding yet. He's he's number eleven in our grade so far, but he still has just your traditional numbers, 119.6 passer rating in part because you've got your schemed up touchdowns and all. He's got 14 touchdowns. No one else has more than 11, right? I mean, it's, uh, they're still moving the ball quite a bit. I think it's, it's a matter of, again, this year, Mahomes has four interceptions. Last year, he had one through week 10. It's those couple turnovers. And, and, but that's, that's a Chiefs game, right? It's like, if you can make a stop or two or three, you're in the game potentially and what buffalo did last year let's go back to their game last year uh, because we cited this quite a bit remember last year the chiefs ran for over 200 yards against the bills Mm -hmm. they played around the same time of the season and the bills were playing light box and really inviting the chiefs to run which is a pretty common strategy against pass first team (coughs) are we going to see that again because i think you know the chiefs they kept them under 30. the bills just didn't (laughs) score enough points in that game but that was the strategy right it was the old Thurman, Bill Belichick, Thurman Thomas thing. If Thurman gets 100 yards, we're going to win this game. The Giants, the Super Bowl in 1990-91. Will the Bills play this the same way? I think it should be. That should be their strategy. Like minimize the uh, the damage that Mahomes is doing by inviting them to hand the ball off as many times as humanly possible. And then trying to keep that, you know, at six yards a carry as opposed to eight. Yeah, I mean, the issue is... Josh Allen had one of his worst games. They lost 26-17, but holding the Chiefs to 26 is great. And Mahomes, Mahomes dropped back 34 times. He he had a really you know, he had a, an efficient game. It was a a short pass game, and you know he averaged six and a half y- uh, yards. You, you like seeing the we got a TV over there. Oh, we do. We Average depth of target was six and a half. I mean, it really was make the Chiefs earn it, make them run it. And, and again, the strategy there is not like we want to give up seven yards per carry. It's just take your chances that we can make a stop here and there, that we can use fewer guys in the box and, and have a two-yard stop here and there and a two-yard stop here and there, put them in third and long, and, and just make them run their own clock. Instead of, you know, the, the, you talked about the Ravens, run clock and keep it away from the Chiefs. Make the Chiefs run their own clock and shorten the game that way. But the Bills this year have to be better on offense right and also like so you don't want to give up seven yards per carry but because of just in very broad brush strokes terms you get up to seven yards a carry before it's like before it's as efficient as the passing game like Mahomes right now is averaging eight and a half yards per attempt right and he never gets sacked so you're not getting a lot of those negative right in there so you can you know you can give up a lot on the ground in terms of averages before you get anywhere near what they're averaging in the pass game so yeah, you don't want to give up seven yards per carry. On the other hand, if you did and they ran the ball every single time, it would still be, just in average terms, less efficient or less productive than if they were passing the ball every single time. Now, obviously, that doesn't it doesn't break down that way because of you know the way it runs for zero yards and then twenty eight and all those kinds of things. But like this is the point that you, the run game is significantly less efficient than the passing game. So particularly for a team like Kansas City. So if you can trap them into or sucker them into skewing more in that direction, you are making that offense less efficient, even if you are giving up more than you would typically give up. Uh, so 
I don't believe that defense doesn't matter the way it's been cited by by people over here. Again, the point there is that when you have a team like the Bills, expect regression, expect them to be a little bit worse. I do think the Bills, again, they have not given up a pass beyond 20 yards. I do think that's part of the Bills' DNA. It wasn't great last year, but since Sean McDermott has been here, they have three top 10 finishes in PFF coverage grade. Last year was not nearly as good. They do generally play do a good job of playing that four high-ish type of shell and keeping things underneath. I think it's going to require one of those patient games by the Chiefs. On the other hand, on the other side of the ball, the Chiefs, just grading-wise, it is the second worst overall grade, PFF grade, their defense, worst run defense, bottom 10 coverage grade. Can they stop Josh Allen this year? Because their defense looked better last year. Can they stop Josh Allen? Are we looking at a shootout here? Yeah, I think that's the big question. Um, the, G- or the, the Bills defense does a good job of keeping things in front of them. On the other hand, in the AFC Championship game, Tyreek Hill had a 71-yarder. Like, I would... I would be reasonably confident that the Chiefs will get a play yeah. above 20 yards on them. By this the way, week. I, I have been far, I've been citing their first matchup too much, you know, from last year. I, I'm, I'm, their regular season matchup is what I've been citing the most part. Of course, the Chiefs did a much better job in their second matchup in the AFC Championship, and it wasn't, it wasn't really a close game. But. Yeah. To me, yeah. <clears throat> to me, it's all about Josh Allen, the Bills' offense. I do think that the Kansas City's offense is going to fairly well like run or dominate the bills defense um because they do it to everybody and if they don't turn the ball over a ton they're going to put up a ton of yards ton of points and then it's a case of can josh allen and the bills offense match them and that that's the game so what do you think uh they're i kansas city they're only favored by two and a half i hammer that hammer that they're going to win they're going to win by more than two and a half it's not going to be that close do you think there's any signal <coughs> in the Bills' defense being good, being this good. This good? No. Good, sure. Because if they can, if they can limit Kansas City to the 20s. I mean, we only have them, they are ranked fifth in terms of PFF's ELO rankings for a defense, given the teams that they face. Like, they are a good defense. They are top 10. They're not good enough to stop an offense like the Chiefs because the best defenses in the NFL aren't good enough to stop the Chiefs. Like, this is... We are going to see a version of that Denver game, the Carolina game, where we're going to see how powerful strength of competition is. Yeah, we're we going from Davis Mills to Patrick Mahomes. I think I'm getting suckered in. I, I think the Bills are going to do – I think they're going to surprise some people, even in Kansas City on Sunday night. Okay. Like well, I, you uh, Josh Allen apologist now. I am. You should I have am. worn the jersey today. I, I should have. I wore it yesterday. I wore the Josh Allen jersey yesterday. So I'll go – I'm going to go the Bills to cover the two and a half. I think they might even pull the upset here. Might? Come on. You know. Bills win. Bills there pull the upset. On Sunday Night Football, again, battle of number one versus number three in the PFF power rankings, which take into account more than just the first four games of the season. You know what else takes in more than just the first four games of the season? What's that, Steve? Manscaped. (laughs) What do they take in? Uh, Your balls, apparently. Okay. And they take care of them. It's football season. You know what that means. It's time to go for two here with the sponsors of today's show. It's Manscaped. They're blitzing through hairs. Wait, blitzing through hairs has never been easier. It's time for you to join the 2 million men worldwide who trust Manscaped by using the handy promo code PFF. Pretty easy to remember. PFF at manscapes.com for 20% off plus free shipping. It's three and out the window for all other trimmers. I mean, that's pretty legit. Go tame that wildcat offense. Uh, look, we've been here. We They came back to us. We've been, but we've been with Manscaped for a couple of years now. We've seen the lawnmower 1.0, the 2.0, the 3.0. 
It's now time for the Lawnmower 4.0. It's the fourth generation trimmer featuring a cutting edge ceramic blade to reduce grooming accidents thanks to their advanced skin safe technology. Lawnmower 4.0 is a 7,000 RPM motor, new multifunction on off switch. You can engage that with a travel lock and it gives you the ability to turn the 4000K LED spotlight on and off when needed for more precision. It's all about precision with Manscaped. Did I mention it's waterproof as well? Rain, snow, sleet, doesn't matter. Even if you're playing in Buffalo, you can still use it. All types of weather. Uh, that's the power of the 4.0. And of course, for, don't forget, there's no penalty for this clipping. You get 20% off and free shipping with the code PFF at Manscaped.com. That's 20% off with free shipping at Manscaped.com. Use the code PFF. Stiff arm the hair out of the playoffs. That's what they tell you. It's good. I like it. I'll mix it up a little bit. Stiff arm it right out with Manscaped. You know, we have the, uh, we got like the Western Southern helmet sitting up here on the desk looking all, you know, professional. And then here's our title sponsor. Here's who we're brought to. It feels like we kind of need, you know, like a couple of kiwi fruits and then the Manscaped trimmer sitting up there just because you can't, you can't just have like a pair of nuts sitting there, right? Because even even Manscaped can't do that. So they have like kiwis or like tennis balls or something. You know, just we got to get DraftKings involved. Subtle, uh, subtle, you know, euphemisms in, in pictorial form. We can, uh, so it we'll feels t- like we just, you know, plop a couple of kiwis up there with the Manscaped trimmer. We can reach out to our friends at Manscaped. Just right on the desk up front. We can, uh, yeah, we do look pretty. Uh, look, the the YouTubers say we look pretty pale. What happened is we're clo- we're sitting higher and we're closer to the lights. There have been adjustments to the lighting, pulling out our paleness. <clears throat> and I might need to go back to the, uh, you know, we need to. Yeah. Sometimes you touch up when you're on the. the there have been adjustments to the lighting that have not been favorable to our complexion. No. We yeah we are at least like nobody so thought of us. We used changes. to sit down here on these comfortable office chairs. We are at least like 18 inches closer to these inferno lights that are which are warm blazing warm down upon us yeah. which is not it's not how, look i have been out in the, the sun all summer and for an irishman like me that's taken me all the way to white yeah you're up to white right now now the winter's coming yeah now we go back to pale blue or pink real pale hair on the lights would you something about the lights in my complexion please um anyway let's get to the next game here cleveland browns at the Los Angeles Chargers. People ask you, why did you cover the Monday night? We never recap the Monday night game. We never have time to, except on the daily when it comes up. <laughs> At this point, the Wednesday podcast is going to be entirely about the standalone games that we don't cover in the review and the preview show. It should. We have <clears throat> we have enough hours of podcasting to touch on everything. But let's touch on the Chargers favored by two, hosting the Cleveland Browns. How about this? Like a nice upstart couple of AFC teams. The Chargers continue to just pass test after test. They beat the Chiefs two weeks ago. No letdown. Mm-hmm. I think that might be the most impressive thing about Monday night. When the Rams lost to the Cardinals, it was easy to say, hey, maybe the Rams had a letdown after beating the Bucs, letdown against the Cardinals. The Chargers were coming off a great win against the Chiefs, and they came out firing against the Raiders and was never really a contest other than that little comeback that the Raiders made. So the Chargers are looking great, and they are favored by two against the Browns. Yeah. Which was kind of interesting to me, actually. They People are starting to buy into the Chargers now. They're definitely heading in the right direction. Justin Herbert still looks absolutely legit. Um, I'm really interested in what they do with Miles Garrett. Both sides, actually. Um, Miles Garrett has been incredible the past couple of weeks. Like, absolutely dominated the Bears and then the Vikings. That being said, <clears throat> the Bears and the Vikings have bad offensive lines and bad offensive linemen that he was going up against. So it made some sense. Now, what do you do if you're the Browns and you're facing the Chargers who have, okay, he's a rookie, 
Rashawn Slater at left tackle. On the other hand, he's a rookie that already looks like a top five left tackle really in the good. NFL. Yeah. So do you say, Miles Garrett, your defensive player of the year kind of candidate, go beat up on this rookie left tackle. I don't care that he's really good. Go beat him. Or do you say, Miles Garrett on the other side of this offensive line is Storm Norton, who is not very good. And you currently play 81% of your snaps over the left tackle, but today you're going to play 81% of your snaps against the right tackle because that's Storm Norton. And having seen what you do to uh, Rashad Hill and to an aging, busted-up Jason Peters, that's where you make the most sense. If I was the Browns, I would absolutely move him to the other side in this game and just let him wreak destruction upon the right side of that line. I don't think it's worth... I, I don't think it's worth um, when teams keep their elite game-changing pass rusher against a player who's good. It just seems like a waste to me. I understand that, like, in theory, you know, he's good enough to beat that guy as well. But we know he's good enough to destroy the other dude. So why not make that matchup a thing every single snap? Yeah, it's actually one of the interesting things about for years people thought that left tackles had it harder than the right tackle. Uh, because they're protecting the blind side and because they're facing the perceived Lawrence Taylor position. I think the reality is we need to switch the way we think of things because most NFL teams usually put their left tackle, their best tackle at left tackle, and it's actually the defenders that have it more difficult. If you are a Miles Garrett or, say, a Yannick Ngakwe or whoever lines up, Jared Allen back in the day, whoever lines up at right end, defensive right end all the time and rushes against left tackles has it harder than the guys rushing against the right tackles because generally the lesser pass protector is at right tackle. So that puts the onus on the defense when you have a Miles Garrett to say, let's go dominate the right tackle in a given game. And in the the Bears, I mean, the Browns have dabbled with moving him inside a touch. I think there's he has the ability to do that. I don't think everybody does. I don't think every edge can just you know win against guards. I think you can move Garrett anywhere and there's still some more creativity there. But I also think having... You know, Jadavian Clowney's had a nice season. Malik Jackson's been solid. Tack McKinley's been a good, a good player on a hundred. You know, he's rushed the passer eighty-two times. That's they've gotten good contributions from him. They're kind of deep as far as you know what they're trotting out there as far as pass rush goes, and especially over these last couple of weeks, Brown's defense, I think, starting to come together. And that was the big question, right? All <laughs> these new pieces, how are they going to fit? The Browns are starting to figure it out. Yeah, and look, you can make the argument that if. If Storm Norton is that bad, Jadavian Clowney is going to have a field day as well, and you don't need to move Miles Garrett around. On the other hand, I just think having seen what Garrett does to bad players in the last couple of weeks or substandard pass blockers, it just makes too much sense to exploit that matchup. And, you know, we saw on Monday night that the the Chargers are trying to give Storm Norton help. Like they have an extra offensive lineman out there, a ton, giving him a essentially a double team at right tackle to try and prevent the mismatch. But like that should be something that the Browns are zeroing in on to try because the Chargers have done a great job at improving the offensive line in front of Justin Herbert. He's only under pressure like 25% of the time this season. Um, Four-fifths of that offensive line are in great shape, but the fifth, the fifth-fifth is a major weakness. Well, that's the other question about that tactic, right? Do you feel like you're wasting Miles Garrett if you're if – you're- forcing double teams every time no because that's good like that's a that's a beneficial thing that's like the idea of you know if i've taken away a number one wide receiver with a cornerback is that is that like should i have him you know dominating something no like if you force the team to double team this guy with a sixth offensive lineman like every play 
That's huge. At the same time, now Jadavian Clowney's questionable. He got banged up last week, I believe it was. He's questionable, but if he's out there, like isn't <coughs> isn't Clowney against Storm Norton? Isn't he earning the same respect? He's not as good as Miles Garrett, but isn't right. he earning the same double team respect because it's Clown- it's still a mismatch? I don't think he's earning the same attention. I like I don't think that's the attention that you do to start the game. Like that's the attention that you do once you realize how bad the situation is, and you're like, okay, we're we're gonna make sure this is not a crippling problem. I don't think Clowney gets the same kind of attention as Miles Garrett does. And if Clowney isn't out there, Garrett should play every snap over the right tackle. Uh, Denzel Ward's also questionable. I think anytime you could see Denzel Ward and Keenan Allen face each other, that's a, I mean, Denzel Ward, I think, is one of those few corners with the speed, shiftiness to just handle those, those great route runners. That's a great matchup, assuming health. Browns are a little banged up defensively. A lot of their good players questionable, including Tack McKinney, McKinley, who I, who I mentioned. Uh, other side of the ball, you've got the the Baker Bakefield questions are already popping up again. I mean, we're two weeks removed from him starting the season, like 80% completions and 10 yards per attempt, and then he kind of laid an egg last week against the Minnesota Vikings. Yeah. Is he just streaky at this point? Yeah. Josh Allen used to have a streakiness factor to him. Is Baker just streaky? Because we, you know, last year through seven weeks, he was pretty bad. After week seven, he was good. I mean, is it just these ebbs and flows of Baker's career? Like, what's missing from a consistency standpoint? The narrative on Baker Mayfield is just always weird. Like, you know, I tweeted during the game or late in the game last week. I think after he missed that touchdown, essentially, to Odell Beckham. And he missed it, for sure. Yeah, yeah. It's like, I don't... Why can those two not get on the same page? And the number of Brown... Or the number of people that were replying, it's like, oh, it's just because Baker's bad. Like, come on. Baker's not a bad quarterback. Like, there are bad quarterbacks in the NFL. Davis Mills is getting snaps at quarterback in the NFL. Baker Mayfield is not in the same category as Davis Mills, who is a bad NFL quarterback, albeit a young one. Um, Baker Mayfield, I think where he actually is, is still indeterminate. We don't know where he is in this ranking, in this pantheon of quarterbacks, in this Matt Ryan inflection point line. We have no idea yet where Baker Mayfield is. But to just say... He's a bad quarterback. And then when games like this pop up, it's like, see, told you. It's, I, I don't understand what you're doing there. Like, you're willfully ignoring most of the evidence if you're of that opinion. Baker Mayfield does, though, appear to have um, some major inconsistencies in his game where most of the time he's pretty good. Uh, there's still, even when he's really good, there's a little bit missing. Like, those plays here and there that really great quarterbacks just don't make. Um but then every now and again, he has a game like that, where it's like, why why were you that bad? There's no real reason for it. You, you know, you can make the point that, hey, both these defenses essentially face the same offense in practice every week. But on the other hand, in season, they kind of don't because you're going up against the scout team who's showing you the other team's offense. Like you're not, you are preparing against your defense, but you're not preparing against your defense running your scheme the way you are in, you know, training camp it's different right, like right. it's not the same thing so the idea that like the the vikings and the browns defense has shut the other op- the other offense down because all they've been doing is practicing against their yeah, offense it's, that doesn't it's really hold that, up though it's there's some familiarity with there is but it's not like and, that's all you're seeing no but when you know I, I think there's definitely an advantage when you're an offensive like when you're facing an offense that you're familiar with because you can you can like lead them down a path. Like I know if I show this look, they're going to do that. You know, and that that's I think where the advantage comes from. Um, either way, I mean, look, is it an overrated narrative that OBJ's back and 
things seem off a little bit again with Baker that we still have more to see there all I know is it's going to be challenging against this Chargers defense that uh, has not they've allowed three completions on 20 plus yard throws that's second best in the league and then um, I do want to I don't want to gloss over Justin Herbert here by the way the one more point about Baker is remember the week before last game he got drilled into the turf and dislocated his shoulder popped it back in had to go get a brace and then play on okay it's the non-throwing shoulder for what whatever that's worth your glove hand though it's your, it's your glove hand it's your glove hand right. yeah yeah um, you got to keep your glove hand tight which yeah. is really not a glove in football look i don't know what effect if any that has but let's just put out there as a general point about baker that this was the first game that he was playing after dislocating his shoulder it's it's a little his fault though oh, of course his fault but my point is he's playing having dislocated his shoulder right if you're looking for reasons why baker mayfield had a randomly shitty game and couldn't hit anybody with the football hey over here just beforehand is a play where his shoulder popped out of its socket and then went back in i'm not saying one caused the other but i'm saying at the very minimum we should raise that as a thing and say maybe that has to, something to do with it yeah it certainly could be but uh it's another big test in the baker development and just this is an afc i mean both teams are going to have challenges to win their respective divisions right the browns have to battle the the ravens and uh the Bengals. Uh, the Chargers have to, you know, face the Chiefs. They you know, they have to overcome the Chiefs, maybe the Raiders, the Broncos in that division. These two teams might be wild card teams, and this game ends up becoming, you know, a home field advantage. It, not a home field advantage, but just a play. I mean, it's a it's a battle for the playoffs. It's a huge game here in Week Five. Um, we didn't talk enough about Justin Herbert, our number three graded quarterback right now. He's been fantastic. Most impressive to me second lowest percentage of uncatchable passes third lowest percentage of uncatchable passes at five plus yards i mean his he's just not missing throws and it's in in a, for a guy who makes who has special throw ability laser beams and hitting targets you're not supposed to hit it's really like we've described mahomes in the past it's really the lack of mistakes and misses that should be most impressive about herbert yeah so, so as much as there's you know, a wow throw or two in every single game that Justin Herbert plays. He, the percentage of those this year is actually a lot smaller than you might think it is. Um, the difference is, so he's, he's done essentially what we were speculating in the offseason. There's a lot of things about his season last year that were unsustainably good that almost certainly were going to regress. And one of the things the Chargers were kind of tasked with in the offseason is improving the other stuff. So that the net is still positive, right? You want to develop this year. So even if he gets worse on third down or reduces the number of crazy big time throws in high leverage situations, we're going to make sure he's under pressure less and we're going to improve his, his baseline on the easier stuff so that even if those things two, both happen, we end up as a net, uh, a net jump forward. That's exactly what's happened. His turnover worthy play number has gone way down. His big time throw rate is also down. It's 3.9% which is not that high. Like Tom Brady is at 8.9%. Um, so Herbert has actually become way more efficient. And he, as I said earlier, he's under pressure way less. So they've done a great job of making sure he gets better at the easier stuff. And then every now and again, there's like an insane play in there. You're like, oh boy. So I think the Chargers deserve a ton of credit. I think Herbert deserves a ton of credit. I, I also think there were you know, the Saints game last year. There were a lot of games last year where it was really just Herbert making three or four really good throws that you remembered, but it was a lot of the stuff in between right. that wasn't great. And now it, it is a lot of the opposite with, you know, you still have those throws that you remember. So where are you going with this one? 
Chargers by two at home. Yeah. Um, I like the Chargers. I, I think as long as they figure out a way of making sure that Storm Norton doesn't cost them the game, and as I say, they're already like well down that path in terms of protecting him and giving him help, I think they end up winning. An incredible week for the AFC with Bills, Chiefs, and Browns, Chargers. I'm going to go the underdog again. I'm going to take the, the Browns to cover and pull the upset against the Chargers okay. on the road. Short week for the Chargers. We'll see if that all matters. Uh, plus, they played, it was a late game. It was a late Monday night game with a delay. Mm. You know, I'm that's taking a factor the, as well. To, to win and cover. We'll get into all the other previews. But first, DraftKings <laughs> Sportsbook, an official sports betting partner of the NFL, has a week five offer every football fan should be jumping on because new customers can bet just $1 on any NFL game and win $100 in free bets if either team scores a point. That's right. The last 0-0 tie in the NFL was 1943. So I'd say it's a no-brainer. If Sportsbook isn't yet available in your state, DraftKings won't leave you empty-handed. Everyone can play for huge cash prizes all season long with DraftKings Daily Fantasy Contests. And DraftKings is giving all new customers a free shot at millions of dollars in total prizes with their first deposit. So draft, download the DraftKings Sportsbook app now. Use promo code PFF. Throw down $1 in any NFL game and win $100 in free bets if either team scores a point. It's promo code PFF. This week at DraftKings Sportsbook, an official sports betting partner of the NFL. Must be 21 or older, New Jersey, Indiana, and Pennsylvania only. New customers only. Minimum $5 deposit and $1 wager required. One per customer. Restrictions apply. See DraftKings.com sportsbook for details. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. It's a no-brainer, Sam. They give you $100 in free bets. That feels good. Yeah. Promo code PFF at DraftKings. And then you just, you know, you get to play around with all their various games. So go do that right now. DraftKings Sportsbook. All right, let's go to the NFC for a game. Another big game. Arizona Cardinals. Can they stay undefeated? Can they move to 5-0 and against the San Francisco 49ers? Uh, Jimmy Garoppolo, we, it's tough to analyze this game. We don't know if it's Jimmy Garoppolo. We don't know if it's Trey Lance. Yeah, right there's now. a couple of games this week where the quarterback is in major question. Um, this is one of them. Here's the thing, though. Um, if Jimmy G plays, I think it's actually worse for them than if Trey Lance does. because Worse for the Niners? Yes. Because Jimmy G, if he plays, is going to be playing hurt. And Jimmy G playing hurt is a train wreck almost invariably. That's true. That um, was last year against the Dolphins. He graded in like the 20s trying to play on a bad ankle. Yeah. And this is a calf injury. He couldn't push off last week. That was the, the question. Right. You can't use your legs. You're done. But not that he uses his legs a lot. He's a lot of like... But you always use, like, it's one of those things, right? You always use your legs. Know, when you, it's like you don't realize until you can't move how much you use them. So if Jimmy G is playing hobbled, I think the 49ers are done. Um, if he's not playing and Trey Lance comes in, that becomes way more fascinating because obviously the Trey Lance offense is going to look different to the Jimmy Garoppolo offense. They're going to you know, be using him a ton on the ground. It's going to be a run-heavy system. And the threat of, hey, look, he's... He's not an efficient passer right now, but he's a dangerous passer. I mean, the, the Cardinals have the lowest rate of explosive plays allowed in the NFL in terms of passes. It's like, it's under 10%. It's the, it's the best in the league. But Jimmy G is like, or not Jimmy G, uh, Trey Lance is a big pass play waiting to happen at any given moment. And much like Lamar Jackson, he's going to open up some things because all you're focusing on is all the crazy stuff they're showing you with the run game up front. There are going to be opportunities to punish them with one of those pass plays. That's what I want to see here, right? I mean, I want to see the full Trey Lance offense, not just he gets thrown out there in the game unexpectedly like he did last week. What does a Kyle Shanahan look game, uh, Kyle Shanahan game plan look like with Trey Lance? Uh, it's everything we talked about this offseason. How much is he incorporated into the run game? How much is it zone read, but also power and counter? And now defenses, again... 
what a Trey Lance does is puts so much pressure on your linebackers, your your safeties when they've got run fits to worry about, so much pressure on that that second level of the defense. And Shanahan is as good as anybody at exploiting those, right? Mm-hmm. So that's that's certainly what I want to see is a full Trey Lance offense if it's if it's him. And and, and how much do I trust this Arizona defense? You mentioned they're not giving up explosive plays. Nothing on paper says that should be the case. They're doing some right. good things schematically. They're they're creative. I think they're tapping into those and versatile they, <laughs> backers and safeties. But at some point, those corners and they've been they on a razor's going. edge a bunch of times. Yeah. Like, there's a lot of plays where you're like, okay, they didn't give up the explosive play. On the other hand, they required like a fairly freaky play from a cornerback at the catch point to stop that happening. Um, so yeah, it does feel like that eventually the dam is going to burst and we're going to see them cough up a couple of big plays. Uh, as far as Arizona's offense goes, Kyler Murray, um, he's uh, he's actually the number three overall graded quarterback. Herbert's got the number three, is it number three passing grade yep. for Herbert? Yes. Um, Kyler's number three overall because he also, you know, has he's got the good run grade and, and the whole deal. Impressive improvement from Kyler Murray. I mean, we we always joked, I always say, yeah, it's not it's not Madden, you don't just get better every year, but Kyler is on that trajectory where he was better last year. He's added to his game this year. He's completing 76% of his passes. Look, completion percentage can certainly be overrated, but he has thrown the ball down the field. He's you know throwing a seam route to Max Williams and all that stuff. That That's going to stick with me because yeah. that is the part of the field that this offense just hasn't attached. Mm-hmm. It is just the most well-rounded Cardinals, Cliff Kingsbury offense we've seen. His adjusted completion rate is up as well, like up seven points from last year. And and it was up a couple of percentage points from his first year as well. So that is, it's his his career statistical breakdown almost across the board does fit into that nice, neat, linear progression. Get better, get better. Boom, we've arrived. Um, the big difference in him this year versus last year is the percentage of wow play, Steve. <laughs> the percentage of the incredible plays that he makes where you're just like, okay, Kyle well, Murray. Let's see what our fans. I was on Dan Patrick today. You were. Well, name dropping. Uh-huh. Dan Dan was asking if we could track wild plays here at PFF. I said, don't worry, Dan. We've got big time throws. Yeah, yeah. Dan was like, uh, Steve, maybe uh, wild plays might be a little bit better. Didn't seem to satisfy him, the big Didn't, time throw number. And I respect Dan. Big fan of Dan. The big show, Sports Center back in the day. Big fan of Dan Patrick. Respect his opinion. Mm-hmm. But I, but I, I, I named big time throws. It's, it's my baby. Yeah. I think it's great. And from the outset, I've been telling you it was a dumb name and you shouldn't have used it. Should we pivot to wild plays? And now Dan has, the first time he's heard of it, he's like, that's ridiculous. He used wild plays. Well, let's see what the fans, let's see what the fans think. Okay. Big time throws or wow plays. What should we be doing? Also, you know, while you're in there, give that thumbs up to the YouTube video. That's always helpful. That's why we keep going viral with these videos. People love them. Anyway, go ahead. Finish here. He's got the wow plays. So, yeah, he's got the wow plays. Um, like big time throw rate, allegedly, has uh, <laughs> allegedly. more than doubled. Like his big time throw rate is through the roof. He's making an incredible bunch of plays. And as I say, one of the most impressive things is the variety of them. He's not just making the sort of same crazy run around cause everybody problems in the backfield and then heave one play he's making a wide variety of incredible throws and plays and that's like a that's a big difference between where he was a year ago it's a lot of of the difference in grade in addition to the fact that he is has been more efficient i think largely because that receiving group is better the uh the cardinals also have the number one pass blocking grade 
in the NFL. And I think through a couple of years, we've seen that the air raid does help a little bit as far as pass protection goes. But we're talking DJ Humphreys played well, Justin Pugh. Uh, you mentioned on the show yesterday, they just gave Aaron Donald his lowest pass rushing grade yep. of his career. So if Nick Bosa can't get pressure for the Niners, if the Niners can't get pressure up front, it's another game where I think, I just don't think the Niners have, have the horses to cover uh, what Arizona's throwing out there. So I think Arizona's regression either comes from Kyler just coming back down to earth a little bit, right? Because he's he's playing great, but you know, can he can he keep it up? Kyler comes back down to earth or the secondary comes back down to earth. And I just don't know if this is the week. Yeah. I mean I, I don't like their chances of slowing down Arizona that much at all. So a lot of pressure becomes on their offense, whoever the quarterback is. I think if <laughs> if Jimmy G is under pressure to carry this team whilst being hobbled, it, like I say, it's it it's not even a contest. Trey Lance under pressure to keep pace becomes more interesting, particularly if they get down and they have to, like, the temptation will be to abandon the run game, which is going to be what the entire offense is built off if you're running a Trey Lance offense. So that that becomes an interesting thing to watch. I just don't like the 49ers' chances in this game generally. It doesn't feel like a good matchup. I, I do feel, I feel like Trey Lance gives you that ceiling, though. Yeah. Like, if he starts, are we going to be seeing this thing where he goes... 10 carries for 95 yards you know maybe only completes 50 percent of his passes but it's you know they're they're chunk plays because it's coming off a of play action and before you know it it's you know arizona 31 niners 28 or so it's a close game it's a it's a shootout and maybe the niners don't come out on top maybe they do but it just it feels like this trey lance coming out party or is he not ready for that like i can envision this being his style i just don't know if he's ready for it right now or if this happens later in the year or what uh another two important parts trent williams and george kittle are both questionable those are the two best run blockers on the 49ers yeah like if if you're running a trey lance offense and if you're planning on dominating on the ground those are two pretty key parts to that if they're not playing especially both of them on the edge right. i mean kittle had some really good blocks against bobby wagner best linebacker in the league last week so yeah that is a big factor uh in you know for the niners because run blocking does matter in a trey what we assume a trey lance centric offense is going to look like i'll take arizona five and a half it's a lot of points but i'll take arizona to win and cover you sticking with another favorite here yeah win and cover all the favorites here all right great all right let's get to uh we're gonna go through the rest of the games a little bit quicker and give you at least something to watch here chicago bears at the las vegas raiders finally we get to see the uh, khalil mack revenge game right the khalil mack revenge game that's what you're taking away from this well it's been like four years in the making they haven't played yeah i don't think they've played yeah you think anybody cares anymore no I don't think Khalil Mack cares anymore. I think we should talk about Justin Fields for an hour again. Yeah, yeah, let's do that again. Because we haven't talked about Justin Fields already. Is this the biggest... I'll read you the two numbers, and you let me know if this is the biggest surprise of the season. Okay. Number one pass rush grade, Las Vegas Raiders. Number one coverage grade, uh, number two coverage grade, Las Vegas Raiders. Sure. Biggest surprise of the 2021 NFL season. Yeah. I mean, again, they... like. The Raiders' pass rush is the Carolina defense, the Denver team, the Buffalo D. Like, they have run up against some terrible offensive lines. So they're a hell of a lot better. I think that's unquestionable. But we don't know how much better. Um, but this like this is a team that can scare that Chicago Bears offensive line, can cause them major problems. So, number one, like, the thing to watch in this game is just what is the game plan for Justin Fields? Like, how do they go out there and try – to put him in the best position to succeed because it's clear that Justin Fields has insane upside. Like the number of big time throws, 
wow plays that Justin Fields has in the course of a game, the percentage of them, just the magnitude and the how special those plays can be, particularly when you start pairing them up with Darnell Mooney deep down the field, like the, the ceiling for this offense is incredible. What he can do is fantastic. But we've already seen what happens when you put him up against a team like the Browns who just overwhelmed that offensive line. You need to have a game plan to stop that happening again. Now, last week they run a bunch more six and seven man protections. They haven't really tapped into him as a design rushing threat, though. There haven't been a ton of read option looks. There haven't been the things that most teams with a highly mobile quarterback do to protect him. You know, just scare a defense a little bit. Let's get them thinking about this sort of stuff. They haven't tapped into that much at all. Um, they still don't have a ton in terms of like quick game, short RPO stuff. It it hasn't, there's not a ton of that stuff. So I that's the, t- the thing to watch is just what is the game plan to help Justin Fields not drown? And then does, does uh, the Vegas pass rush overwhelm Chicago's offensive line the way the Browns did? Yeah, I think... So I think the max protection stuff, I know we talked about this a lot a couple weeks ago. The max protection stuff, I think what that helps with is where Fields throws the ball well. He throws outside lane, throws those deep outs, comebacks. He throws those really well. He throws the deep crosser really well. So those generally are longer developing routes and you got to give him some time. Um, So that's where I think the max protect stuff helps a little bit. I don't know if quick game is really his game because even he's been off a little bit. But what you need for a quarterback, if he's going to, again, if he's going to drop back 35 times, you need 10 to 15 plays that are easy, quote unquote easy. Those are your screens. Those are your boots. Those are your I also just little need... bit of quick games, not easy, so to speak, but it's like your mental break in the passing game. I just need the ball out of his hands faster. Like, so I... you're just trying to induce it into... Yeah. My question from a Raiders standpoint is the most impressive thing is their pass rush grade that leads the NFL where Max Crosby's been awesome and Yannick Ngakwe and they've, they've just gotten so many contributions that were unexpected. It's been with a four-man rush this entire season. Yeah. Nobody's blitzing less. Because they face garbage offensive lines. Okay, fine. But nobody's blitzing less than the Raiders, right? What do they do strategically? Because Fields has struggled against the blitz. His passing grade is 38 against the blitz. It's 69 against no blitz. So what do the Raiders come out of what they've been comfortable with and start sending five-man pressures, which is generally what... uh, In that system, in the Gus Bradley, you know, Seattle three, if you're going to send pressure, it's five-man pressure. Uh, which I hate in general, unless they're with man coverage behind them. But, you know, it's it's fire zone type of stuff that leaves some holes, but also puts the pressure on the quarterback to find that hole in the defense immediately. And we just haven't seen Fields have success there. So I want to see how the Raiders attack this. Yeah, I mean, I, I think they're, it is going to be interesting to see how successful that that defensive front is because it has been dominant. On the other hand, like, they are like it's a huge product of look at the teams they face right baltimore with their offensive line i remember this wasn't the baltimore offensive line as it currently is this was baltimore with a completely crippled ronnie stanley trying to gut through playing left tackle disaster uh alejandro villanueva the great playing right tackle and not being able to hold his head above water the interior which is the weakness like so eviscerated Pittsburgh, terrible offensive line. Miami, terrible offensive line. Chargers, pretty good offensive line outside of Storm Norton. And that was by far their worst pass rushing performance of the season so far. Um, So like if you just look at where those teams rank in terms of pass blocking offensive lines so far this season, Miami, 32. uh, Chargers, 29. 
uh, Ravens 25. And Maybe it's because of the Raiders. So that, that's a fair point. That Yeah, look, obviously they, they contribute to that. Um, but we just don't know. That's my point, right? We don't know how good this pass rush is. We know it's good enough to destroy bad offensive lines when they face them. And you can make the point that, hey, look, Chicago's offensive line is pretty terrible. Um, so it should be good enough for them to cause problems. But like that's what we're dealing with here. It's an unknown quantity yet. You can't just look at it and say, terrorizing pass rush, they will destroy, end of. It's, it's an open question yet. Uh, on the other side of the ball, the Raiders didn't look good offensively the other night. I think they'll bounce back here. Uh, the Bears have the number, number 27 coverage grade. It's Jalen Johnson, who's been fantastic, makes the first team, first quarter all pro team so far, 79 coverage grade. No one else has a coverage grade over 62 in that back seven. Did you see Joey Bosa's comments on Derek Carr? Uh, I heard, yeah. Hit he, him early. He was, he went pretty hard on. Basically, he was like, yeah, you know, we know if we get after him, hit him early, he's done. He just goes into a shell. And he was, like, referencing, hey, by the end of it, he was, like, curling up into a ball before we got to him. Like, and there was a play where he did that. But on the other hand, he was also dead in the water on that play. So it was one of those this ones where it's kind of fair enough. But, like, for a dude who, like, this is the first time you're playing them. A, you're going to have to play him again. And B, yeah, like, that division's still very much up in the air. To come out and basically just rip the dude a new one and be like, oh, yeah, we know. Like, we knew this dude doesn't really have it when the chips are down. Um, which, by the way, is something that, like, I've said in the past. So I'm not necessarily criticizing him for being wrong. Um, but I just thought it was kind of amazing to come out and be that hard on him after that game. So this season, Derek Carr's grade under pressure is 66. Uh, when he's kept clean, it's 89. 66 is pretty good under pressure. It's not bad. Now, last year, his grade was 50 when under pressure. And it's, when, his, when he wasn't under pressure, it was 93. Um, the year before that, 62, 87. So I don't, I don't think it's as clear cut as he was making it sound. But but he wasn't trying. He was trying to say, and I hear coaches say this all the time: hit him early. And I heard an off. Um, yeah, but the way he was saying it was like hit him early, and he basically doesn't have the guts to hang into the game. Like he, he's done. Which is different from saying he's going to be bad under pressure. It, yes, but that's also. I don't want to spend the whole time on it, but that's not a strategy. It's not a tactic. It's not a tactic for a defensive line to say, win early. You know what? Just win your reps early on and we'll win this game. That's not a strategy. You don't put that on the chalkboard and say, hey, guys, all we have to do is win these first two drives and Derek Carr is going to curl up. It's like saying the way to beat Tom Brady is with a four-man rush. I mean, that's great, but your four-man rush has to win. And they got to win like 35 40% of the time, which is not a strategy. That's a hope, right? So it's, it's just this – I hear this all the time. Hit this quarterback early and, and you'll take him out of the game. Great. First off, it's probably anecdotal and it doesn't – mean anything secondly like good luck executing it now maybe the Chargers executed it and it was fine for this week but your points uh the bulletin board material huh yeah I just I, I was just surprised defending Derek Carr now I was just surprised how um like this I gotta hate this word how disrespectful it was to to an, oppo to an opposing quarterback who you're gonna have to face again down the line yeah maybe not wise maybe not wise anyway where are you going uh in this game yeah Vegas by five. Man. Uh -huh. I think the two teams are closer. I just don't know what to make of fields yet. We've got one game of fields against the Browns. One game against the Lions. Not that the Browns are the 85 Bears, but it's so a this disparity is, there. This is the thing, right? We I know I've been talking about how Miles Garrett has been incredible the last two weeks. The Cleveland defensive line is good, but it's not like 
that's not the best defensive line you've ever seen in the world. And yet yeah. it it ruined like there was nothing that they could have done in that game to avoid being destroyed. Like what okay, they didn't help. <laughs> they could have done more, but nothing they would have done would have fixed that, right? The idea that ah, oh, if Mag Nagy had just run a bit more six and seven man protection, the offense would have been fine. No, they'd have been boned as well. Like the six man protection would have been wrecked. It wouldn't have made any difference whatsoever. The Browns' defensive line is not that good. Like, how even if we don't know how good the Raiders is, how much worse can it be than that Browns' defensive line? So I'm going with the Raiders and the points. Like, they're going to win. They're going to cover. Everybody's going to win by a lot this week. Apparently. All All the home teams, all the favorites. Yeah. You're four for four so far. Okay. Did you take the Seahawks at home too yesterday? Uh, no, I went with the Rams. I don't even remember. Who remembers yesterday anyway? Drop it in the comments. Let me know. All right, let's go. Monday Night Football. Colts at the Ravens. Uh, Colts got their first win last week. They're one and three. The Ravens are are three and one. I think this, the matchup looked a little bit more attractive (laughs) earlier in the season. Um, did we overrate the Colts or is this just, you know, a blip over these first few weeks and just some weird stuff with injuries and everything. I keep coming back to the fact that they have not had their offensive line yet this season. The lowest, by the way, the lowest pass blocking grade in the NFL. Right. Just above the Dolphins. Yes. Um, so they not, were ranked number one by us. So in fact, not the lowest. Just above, just, wor- just worse than the Dolphins. I have just them below. the other way around. Why have you got them? Oh, really? Yeah. I have Miami dead ass last. You have the Colts are 31. Let's see. Let me see. Maybe I just misremembered. It's a tenth of a percentage or a tenth of a grading point. No, in, so in premium? You in, must have a filter. No, I have them in ultimate, and I'm just looking at the pass, the offensive line. You're looking at all the protection. I'm looking at all pass blocking. See, I don't factor in the tight ends and oh, receivers oh, when I'm smart. looking at offensive line okay. pass blocking grade. So all pass blockers, Colts are last. Yes. Just offensive line. There you go. Second Dolphins to last. are last, Colts are second to last. Glad we're on the same There's page. an important discrepancy to get sorted out. Um, Either way, it's bad. Yeah. And the thing is, they they haven't had their starting five offensive line. Like you said, ranked in the top, was it one or two? The top couple coming into the year. I still think that when they have the five, it's a really good offensive line. But in, if they don't have that, the point is fairly self-evident that they're screwed. Um, so now you're going up against Baltimore and their pressure packages that we talked about on the show on Monday, how good a job they did of wrecking Denver's offense. Like, they're just in trouble because of that. Um, Wentz is not amazing under pressure or against the Blitz. He's got one good year against the Blitz in his career. It wasn't even the, like, 2017 season that was incredible. So the chances are, if Baltimore's getting a lot of pressure and if they're blitzing the crap out of them, Wentz is in trouble and the Colts' offense is in trouble and their defense is not really good enough to to stop Baltimore I so hear you again, the favorite again. in the week of picking the favorites and the points, I don't see how Six the Colts. And a half it's a lot of points for the Ravens, but this feels like a walk in the park for the Ravens. These two teams played a really good game last year. It was in the dome and in Indy, uh, and I think it was Lamar. Lamar had a nine-yard run just to kind of seal the deal. Mark Andrews had one of the better blocks of the year, leading it out in front. But it was a really good game, and it was the, the Indy last year was that team that played zone, didn't give up big plays, and just kind of, yeah, kept games close and the whole deal. I just don't see that with them right now. They're giving up big plays defensively. And that's what Baltimore's game has been. Lamar throwing the ball down the field, average depth of target, two yards longer than anybody else in the NFL so far. Uh, I I feel like Baltimore has taken some injuries and some things that made people sour on them 
but but offset that by doing other things like being more aggressive throwing the ball down the field tapping into their receivers uh downfield ability a little bit more whether it's sammy watkins or marquise brown on top of having lamar in the run game even the, even if the run game's been a little bit less efficient i just like the way baltimore is subtly adjusting so i, I definitely like them to win and i'll say they cover the six and a half as well for all there we go we said i'm on Let's your go. bandwagon i'm on your bandwagon here are you going to take Dallas to cover the seven against the New York Giants? This is favorite week. That's what we're going. Giants and Cowboys. But you're a Daniel Jones guy right Am now. I? <laughs> yes. Because Giants fans don't seem to think that. They keep digging up a Will Greer tweet I had at draft time every every week. You are, you're a Daniel Jones guy now. Okay. So I think you're going to take the – this is going to be your first underdog. Giants getting seven against the Cowboys. Yeah. It's time to start respecting Daniel Jones. It really is. Look, I know I disrespected the man at draft time, but – Let's look at the evidence. He is having a Kyler Murray type of linear, nice, neat progression throughout his career, getting better every single season. And because he plays with the Giants and they're not very good, nobody cares. Uh, whereas Kyler Murray is at the 4-0 and Arizona Cardinals, so we're talking MVP for Kyler, right? No, the issue is that the stats haven't matched up with what we're seeing on film. Overall grade, Kyler Murray, 87.6. Daniel Jones, 86.9. Uh, passing grade, Daniel Jones, 88.0, Kyler Murray, 86.3. So the difference between the two is essentially Danny Dimes has fumbled the ball, um, whereas Kyler Murray hasn't. Even even if you're just restricted to the rushing threat, Danny Dimes is out here like dominating guys on the ground, trucking Grady Jarrett at the goal line for a two-point conversion. Daniel Jones is really good right now, and nobody's giving him the credit for it because his stats aren't even that bad. Um, but they're not... They're not as good as we've got them as the number two quarterback in the league right now. Right. They're not that good. They're not that good, no. but they're not like, they're not bad either. Like, you're not looking at this and saying, oh, this guy's no good. Um, whereas last year, it was like the dude had 12 touchdowns an entire season. Dak had that in like five weeks. Uh, so Daniel Jones didn't look good relative to, this, to the stats. Here's, here's the disconnect, right? If you go and look at who's, who's got the most completions on 10 plus yard throws. Daniel Jones. I think he has the best grade in the NFL on deep throws right now. Yeah, and that, he did that last year too, I believe. Yeah. He's up there. Listen, he's number one in completions on 10-plus yard throws. So, really good, right? And that's and those are the throws. Those are the money-making throws. Sorry, I'm wrong. He's number six on uh, grade. He might be one over the last two years. Grade on deep. Yeah, that, that's Here's, probably what it is. So, he's number one on 10-plus yard throws. He's But if you just look at all first downs in the NFL through the air, Daniel Jones is 13th. So for the guy, the guy who's completing the most passes beyond the sticks, essentially, is 13th in first downs. So mm -hmm. what's the disconnect there? Mahomes is number one, right? Mahomes, is Mahomes, Brady, Herbert, Darnold, and just first downs. They're all getting the short passes that are becoming first downs, right? They're getting the schemed up plays, or they're getting their short area playmakers involved and doing a really good job. Daniel Jones doesn't have that. So I think that's the key. Daniel Jones throwing the ball down the field extremely well. Is this a Jason Garrett issue? Is this like they're just not scheming it up? They're not giving him the easy stuff. But Jones does deserve credit. And I think the Giants keep this close against the Cowboys team that I already said it looks like a playoff, you know, NFC contender. Yeah. But I think Dallas is a good team. I think the Dallas offense is a very good unit. Um, and they're going to cause all kinds of problems for New York's defense. But I do think that Daniel Jones is massively underrated right now. And that makes this game... I think closer than seven points. I also don't think Daniel Jones is as... He, I, I'm giving him credit for the way he's played. 
I don't think he's as good as he showed. I think he deserves credit for what he's done. You don't think that because lunch is on the uh, And we have lunch on the line. He's going to regress. He needs a three or four interception game in there where those are all his fault. This will be his three or four turnover-worthy play game against the turnover-savvy Dallas defense. I think Dallas covers the seven. One last thing. The Giants are made better by being forced into using Kadarius Toney on offense. Like, this is like, you know, the Vikings, oh, crap, now we have to use a third wide receiver. Oh, look, we're more efficient. The Giants are better when Kadarius Toney has the ball in his hands, and the injuries to receivers are essentially forcing them to do that, having just had him out there as a decoy for the first couple of games. That dude is an electric playmaker. Get him the ball. You have the Giants then. Not to win, but to cover. Win. Oh, there we go. That's the old Sam. Cover, but no Yeah, win. yeah. All right, Denver Broncos at the Pittsburgh Steelers. I was okay. going to ask, like, how in the world are the Steelers favorite for this game? And then I remembered Teddy Bridgewater was concussed. Um, if So let's say Teddy probably doesn't play. I think he's practicing, but concussion, whatever. If he doesn't play... This becomes a fascinating game to watch because Drew Locke brings massive variance to the table. Now, Locke comes, even last week, right? The, the, they're under siege. Teddy's getting buried by the Baltimore Blitz. Uh, Drew Locke comes in and like almost immediately, there's a deep bomb to Cortland Sutton. Now he doesn't connect on it, but that threat is there constantly. Like his big time throw rate in the NFL for his career is pretty damn high. And Pittsburgh's defense, when they haven't got a ton of pressure, has been kind of leaky at the back. And even when they have got pressure, like it's clearly vulnerable. So I get why they're, the Steelers are favored, even though their offense sucks. Um, with Drew Locke out there, there's a pretty high chance that he just shits the bed and doesn't play very well. But it's never going to be over because Pittsburgh's offense probably isn't putting up a lot of points against Denver's good defense. So, like, you're only ever a bomb to Cortland Sutton away from Drew Locke icing this game and, you know, snatching the victory. I just, this is going to be really fun to watch. Yeah, we don't know what we're going to get from Drew Locke. But, look, in the NFL, there's always stuff that happens where, on paper, it's a mismatch and things don't seem like, you know, whatever's playing out just seems unrealistic, right? How's Pittsburgh going to move the ball against this Denver defense? Pittsburgh struggled to move the ball against everyone. Denver's defense is uh, one of the best in the league, very good at stopping the run. They play that soft cover. I mean, so the, the dink and dunk game that Pittsburgh likes to play is probably the strategy against a Vic Fangio defense in Denver, but Roethlisberger's accuracy hasn't been good enough. Yeah, they're not good, not enough good enough to enough win to that, that way. Like, they're not efficient enough to win that way. They're not the Tom Brady, Peyton Manning offenses that could do that all day long and just take it. If you give them five yards and that's all you're giving them, they will take it every single time, and they're efficient enough to get away with it. The Steelers with Roethlisberger are not. I just don't know if I could bet on Drew Locke. Yeah, you know you, you, know you right? want to do it. I, I don't think I could do that. Here's the thing, though. All he needs is one of those. just needs to hit one of them. One. I also don't. I, I, I think any given way. I, I keep remembering week one where Pittsburgh's pass rush was so good and all that stuff. And I think they could pull that out <laughs> or it can show up in any given week, yeah. I'll say. And they actually didn't do a bad job against Green Bay. Like, they had a couple opportunities, to, you know, to pick off Aaron Rodgers and that they just left on the table. I don't think I think the Steelers would do a pretty good job defensively against the Broncos. I think it's a close game. Yeah, if Drew Locke has two big time throws, they uh, the Denver Broncos win the game. Assuming he's starting, he just needs two. Two. That's all I need. Two. If he gets two, I'm going to win. I've been a Pittsburgh apologist more than I should. Uh, I'll take the Steelers in this. And he has 36 for his career, by the way. Big time throws. Yeah. 
that might be as many as Teddy doesn't have. In five yeah, it honestly might be as many as Teddy. <clears> he certainly doesn't games. have thirty-six starts. Um, I, God, I hate doing this, but I'm taking Drew Lock. They're going to win in cover. They're going to win in cover. All right. I mean, you know, if they well, yeah, if they cover, they win yeah, they're, essentially. They're Steelers by one. I'll take the Steelers to win in cover then. Yeah, but I don't love it. Drew Lock. Now, what I don't even know if this is. It also becomes interesting if Teddy starts because, like, this is one of those games where you're like, which one gives you a better shot to win? Because they're probably going to have a similar Teddy Bridgewater. They're probably going to have a similar problem in terms of being buried by pressure. I would have liked to see Teddy on the road against this Pittsburgh defense. I would have liked to see that matchup. Yeah, um, you know, we still might. We still might. We'll see what happens. Uh, but the Drew Lock thing makes me take the Steelers right now. Let's go uh, Packers at Cincinnati coming to town to play our hometown Bengals. Uh, the Packers are favored by three. A couple three and one teams here. Mm. Packers and Bengals. Do the do the Bengals have a sh- uh, shot here? Yeah. Yeah, they have a shot. Um, it's going to be interesting because Jair Alexander is questionable. He got hurt on Pittsburgh's pointless, dumbass fourth and whatever it was, conversion to uh, the swing pass into the backfield to Najee Harris. Swing passes to nowhere on fourth and long. To say, go pick up 12 yards, beat three tackles to gain this first down. Like Jair Alexander was all over that, nailed Najee Harris deep in the backfield and hurt himself, injured a shoulder, making that hit. Um, If he's out, I mean, they've got no corners that that can hold up. Um, And it's not like the Bengals are absent of elite receiving threats. All of a sudden, who's covering... Jamar Chase and T. Higgins and Tyler Boyd. Like, that's a problem. Um, So this is one of those few where there's a major guy potentially missing in the secondary. You know, not a quarterback, not a receiver that could really change this game. Uh, Joe Mixon right now is the number one graded quarterback in the NFL on first downs. Joe Burrow? Joe Burrow, sorry. Um, The number one graded quarterback in the NFL on first downs. So, you know, a huge amount of how you perform overall efficiency, you know, do you avoid third downs? It's just how well you're doing on first down. Um, and even though they they want to kind of run the ball with Joe Mixon, um, they've been, obviously he's banged up as well. They've been going away from that. They've been leaning more on Joe Burrow and just letting him cook. And when they do, he's playing extremely well. He's He hasn't dropped back more than 34 times in a game though. And I know, you know, game flow, affects that a little bit and the whole thing but even like in week one they played an overtime game against the vikings and barely threw the ball only 32 times is this the game like if jair is out you just attack 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 because yeah you want the run game tied to the pass game and the whole thing but burrow's uh top six in our quarterback grades right now he's coming off a great couple weeks against the steelers and against the jaguars do you just let him spread it around and throw to those playmakers and continue to take shots with jamar chase who seemingly catches a deep ball every single game. Had another one last week. He's just got that ability to separate late, get that, you know, wins that hand battle. Did it again against the Jaguars. If I'm Cincinnati, I'm attacking more than ever. I don't think it's a shorten the game type of strategy. It's another like, hey, we expect the Packers to score 28. We got to score 30. If the Bengals attack and put more on Joe Burrow, I think they got a shot. But yeah. I, I just don't know if they're completely comfortable with that yet. I don't think they're completely comfortable with it, but I think the game is probably going to skew in that direction and kind of, again, not force them into it, but they're going to be leaning on it more than they probably would anticipate. Other side of the ball, can the, you know, the Bengals have been better on defense. They're, you know, they're, they're back seven. Their linebackers are playing pretty well, making some plays. And sometimes it's just big Ben's throwing them the ball, but they've been, a, they've been solid defensively. 
And that was as much as we talked about the other side of the ball for the Bengals. The defense was a big question mark. They've been better. Just have to slow the Packers a little bit. Just have to slow the Packers. Just have to slow the Packers a little bit. By the way, Rodgers has been better statistically the last couple of weeks. Throw for throw, still not there. Like, he's still not where he was last year. And I know he's he had the incredible comeback against the Niners. Lions game, he didn't play as well as the stats. Even last week against the Steelers, missed a bunch of throws late, threw one into Minka Fitzpatrick's hands that got dropped. Rodgers playing with fire just a little bit this year. And I'm not, I'm not even counting the Saints game. He's still awesome. He's still special. Big-time throws remain, but playing with fire just a little bit. And if he makes those plays again, could come back to bite. I, I do like the Packers overall, though. I mean, I just think they're the Rodgers, Devontae Adams factor. They remain unstoppable. They're getting their run game going a little bit. I think they have enough options offensively to win. Jair scares me a little bit if he's hurt, though. Yeah, he's out. I think that's a potential real problem. Um, all right, upset. Bengals win. You're taking the Bengals, the hometown. Yep. And uh, Jarrell, he's expected to be unavailable, by the way. So, is that you're still? Uh, is that why you're taking the Bengals? Uh, it's a big part of it. Yeah, it's a big part with no Jair Alexander, top-heavy defense. Who did I take? I took Pitt. Ugh, I'll take Green Bay on the road. All right, Miami Dolphins at the Tampa Bay Bucks. Uh, Bucks by ten. Uh, Brady and the Bucks offense get to face another Belichick-driven defense, and Bruce Arians actually said today. The Dolphins secondary is way better mm -hmm. than the Patriots secondary. Yep. By the way, I don't think he's wrong. Yeah. Certainly I mean, not like man Byron, for man. Byron like, Jones, Xavier Howard, Jason right. McCourty's playing well. Nick Needham's playing well. There are a lot of guys playing well for the Dolphins. I think it might be another tough game for the Bucs offense to get going against a man-heavy scheme. Yeah. I mean, I think from a talent perspective, it's definitely true. Um, from a collective, how they're actually performing as a unit, yeah, it's closer. But – also, of course he's saying that. Like, it's the week you're playing the Dolphins, not the week you're playing the Patriots. That's what you're like, that's what you do. Yeah, he doesn't have to worry about the Patriots for another four years, so that bulletin board <laughs> right. material doesn't matter. Um, so, yeah, I think that's true. But, you know, as a lifelong Jacoby Brissett fan, that's what I'm watching in this game. Um, Jacoby's just fun to watch. He is. Come on, let's, let's admit it. I mean, it's not always good, sure, but it's fun to watch. Hashtag fun to watch. For sure. Yeah, I'll give, uh, I'll give you that. Apparently the uh, the tailgate guys have people on a hashtag fun to watch watch. A fun to watch watch. Because apparently that's like a meaningless thing that people say. Well, that's, yeah. That's Renner's, real to say. Renner's take on that is he hates when people in draft analysis say this guy's fun to watch. Because yeah. it's not analysis. It's just, okay, cool. Fun to watch. Sure. So that's a thing that they do. But it is. I mean, it is something. It is articulating a specific thing i mean taylor heineke is fun to watch he's not a particularly good football player yeah he's just talking to he's talking through the lens of draft evaluation of course we could talk about guys that are fun to watch because it's entertaining we're talking we're there's also a bunch of we're good... trying to give people stuff to watch right. this weekend so watch jake jacoby here's what you want to watch jacoby Brissett, and depending on how you want to rank it either the worst or second worst pass blocking unit against this tampa bay defensive front with Vita Vea and Shaq Barrett and all these dudes coming after you and Tryon Shawinki, Shoyinka. <laughs> and uh, I mispronounced his name. Tryon I should have just said Joe Tryon. I haven't mastered the, the uh, hyphen. Like Juju, uh, Juju was just Juju Smith, Smith point, for right? a while. And yeah. it took me a while to get used to the Smith Schuster back in college. So uh, Joe Tryon, Shoyinka. All those guys coming after you with a bad pass. Yeah. Go go watch uh, Jacoby Brissett behind that this weekend. Sure. There's also a bunch of good players that aren't fun to watch. So I maintain, I may, I, I stand for the fun to watch, uh, the right to say something is uh, is fun to watch. 
You do, huh? I do. We'll have to bring them on to uh, to discuss. Well, so you're going to watch Brissette. Uh, yeah. 10 points. Bucks are at home. I, again, Brady has a history like he, uh, against Belichick guys. You know, Belichick guys have done a pretty good job slowing him down, including Bill Belichick last week, at least sh- slowing down the offense. Sure. So uh, with Brian Flores running the, the Miami do- defense, they've got a top four coverage grade as well. Does that keep it close? Because I, I don't think the Dolphins – do a whole lot offensively, even with the Bucks holes in the secondary. I think the the defensive front is too much for the Dolphins. Can they keep it close defensively? Possible. On the other hand, like as much as he was slowed down last week, he threw for like 270 yards, had five big time throws, and Antonio Brown had a couple of touchdowns that he didn't come up with right True. to death. So like, sure, they slowed him down. On the other hand, like in the rain to come up with those kind of numbers, that's not that slowed down. Brady played well. I'm just saying the offense as a whole wasn't great. And when I say Brady played well, like he made up for it with big time throws. And again, I think if Antonio Brown catches that pass, that's like the play you're looking at forever. And people are calling it like the best throw of Brady's career. They really would, right? Like given the situation. Sure. But uh, but that's not how narratives work. No. It's not a good throw anymore. I'm just saying that, that like, yeah, he has been slowed down by certain Bel- Belichick disciples in the past, but this wasn't that slow. Right. Given the situation. So you think uh, Tampa Bay by 10, is that too much? Uh, probably, just because 10 points always scares me. Um, I do. Th- I mean, I don't think Brissett is as bad as he looked last week. On the other hand, this is not a great defense to prove that because they're going to come after him. They're going to blitz. When you do that to Jacoby Brissett, he tends to... Certain players, I think, when you throw the house at them, they like their instinctive reaction is to like get rid of the ball quickly fire it out try and get rid of it before the pass rush gets home other players their instinctive reaction is to kind of you know tighten up into a ball and like you know protect what you have don't don't do anything stupid that is what Brissett tends to do and the problem with that is it leads to like sacks and extended plays that don't go anywhere and him looking awful um so my concern for Miami would be you get that percent again, and it just they don't get anything done on offense. A couple of problems here. Byron Jones didn't participate in Wednesday's practice. He's questionable. Devontae Parker, wide receiver, questionable. Will Fuller just placed on injured reserve. So some of the firepower offensively for the Dolphins, that would help, obviously, against a depleted Bucs secondary. And, of course, Byron Jones, when you're playing man coverage against the Bucs, you need all of your top players out there. So those are guys. You also, like, the Bucs have no corners. So if you're going to beat them, you actually need to be more – you need to start firing the ball at receivers deep down the Gotta field. Got to be aggressive, right? Right. And Parker's the, the guy they throw aggressively to, but this could be and like Brissett just unleash Jalen Waddle, Dolphins. Right, and Brissett is not a tremendously aggressive quarterback. Like, he's the wrong quarterback to try and target the weakness that Tampa Bay has right now. Yeah. So actually, I'm talking myself into the idea that 10 yeah, points is fine. I'll take the Bucs by 10, yeah, especially okay. with that. Uh, Bucs are injured, but Miami's got a couple of those key injuries as well that Same. Could, could, back, come, could come back to bite. All right, Saints at the Washington football team. The Saints are favored by two. It's Taylor Heineke versus Jameis Winston. <laughs> this is, you like, love this. You're going to be glued. This is the most entertaining, like, entertainment per dropback in the NFL right now, in this game. You've made... Heineke listen, versus Jameis. You've made a... When Fitzpatrick took over for Jameis, you were like, oh my... You made the Fitzpatrick-Jameis comp. You're like, okay, they're kind of the same guy too, just without physical tools, Fitz. Uh-huh. So this is like this is like Jameis versus Jameis Light, isn't it? Or Jameis even? Except he's more athletic. Heineke, that is. Heineke's way more athletic. Way more athletic, James. but with less arm. Yeah, 
less um, doesn't have a great arm. Either way, these two guys are just chaos behind the line of scrimmage, each of them. Like, it's madness. The like, Somebody tweeted out, like, oh, you know, I know this ended up in a touchdown, but they shouldn't have. Heineke should not have thrown this ball. to The jump to, ball. Into yeah, the yeah, to Terry McLaurin. You're like, well, yeah. Like, it was a terrible pass. He just heaves up a prayer into the back of the end zone. And, like, uh, McLaurin runs from behind a guy, like, runs in front of him, catches it. Way touchdown. But, like, that's ridiculous. Of course that ball should never have been in the air. The last play of the game, like back across your body. Let's try and get it to J.D. McKissick, who makes makes the play after the catch. Jameis is routinely throwing a ball from like a horizontal falling back position. Like any given play in this game could be madness in either direction, amazing or terrible. And frankly, that's what the NFL needs. Like this is a game to watch. Yeah, it's going to be great. I, what I'm trying to figure out here. We talk about defense regressing, and the f- the football team has. When did they? When do they revert back the other way? Because the pass rush is still creating pressure. Uh, Chase Young doesn't have a sack yet, but I mean, look, a lot of guys grading in the green as far as pass rush goes. But like, when are they better here? Like, when when does the secondary William Jackson coverage grade of forty six? That's not good. No. Kendall Fuller sixty. Uh, Bobby McCain fifty three. Landon Collins forty four. Those are all guys that have played good football, you know, over the last couple of years. And and part of the reason why people liked the football team and and talk about defensive regression or whatever, but I mean, there's still, you could still play good football. You could still play better football. They're just not there right now. So the pass rush is one of the best in the league from a pressure standpoint and the whole thing. They're not getting sacks, but they're, they're creating some havoc and they're not covering on the back end. Um, So I think the football team defense has to get better at some point they're as bad as it gets giving up explosive plays no matter which way you slice it um would it also surprise you that the saints have the lowest pass rush grade in the nfl no but only because i saw it in your notes thanks <laughs> if i hadn't seen it in your notes it might surprise me I a should lot keep more my than that notes like hidden yeah. yeah hidden notes so you didn't know um, that surprised me i mean there's one of those things where they it feels better than it than it's been um and they've got pieces i know they've had injuries in the whole deal but um, they need to do a better job there. So uh, Saints are still weird, right? I mean, the, yeah. their best games are like Jameis throws the ball 20, 24 times. That means everything else is good in those games. I do agree with you that it Washington's defense is not as good as it was last year. Or last year's defense probably wasn't as good as it was last year. They just faced a bunch of terrible quarterbacks. Right. This year they're facing good quarterbacks. It's suddenly being exposed for the flaws that it had all along. On the other hand, it's not as bad as it's looking right now. Like there are some decent players getting torched in that defense and at some point it feels like that should swing back in their favor a little bit they've got some bizarre numbers on defense in terms of things that are like at extremes that shouldn't really exist in that manner um and so far when it has adjusted it's adjusted against them like they were the best tackling team in the nfl until last week and then everybody forgot how to tackle and it just got even worse. Like at some point, one of these like extreme numbers is going to swing back in there, like positive regression for them, not negative regression. Yeah, right. I mean, I I like the I just think the Saints are a better overall team. You know, I think they're they have the ability to win in 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 different ways. And uh, I somewhat trust Jameis more than I trust Heineke. How about that? Wow. wow. I trust Jameis over Heineke. How dare you? The next time Heineke throws a hail mary in a non hail mary situation, probably doesn't end up in a touchdown. That's that's the thing. If you want to talk about regression. Hmm. So give me the Saints covering the two on the road against the football team. Uh, 
Yeah, probably. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I'd like to go with Washington, but they their their defense really sucks right now, so I'm not going to. I'm reading your notes for this next game, and I want to know what you're talking about here. Tennessee Titans at the Jacksonville Jaguars. What happened in the huddle? Oh, so yeah, Titans, the uh, you know when they yeah end the practice or whatever, you break break it down. You know, win on three, one, two, three. Win. They uh, the Jags broke the huddle with grind. Really, grind on three, one, two, three, grind. Are they saying like grind it out? No, I don't think they're doing that. I think they're they're like talking about at the club. I think they're making a fairly clear reference to uh, to Urban's. It's a double entendre. Urban's grind. Yeah, I. That's a weird situation right now. Like (laughs) the anybody that's sort of in and around the NFL, the thing they're focusing on with that Urban Meyer thing is not like the dude was caught with you know Jake grinding up against him. while a married man it's that he didn't get on the plane and go home with the rest of the team which is what everybody always does regardless of your situation coach always gets on the plane goes back suffers through it with everybody else didn't do that so that is what everybody else is focusing on then there's been all this weird stuff where he's like uh hey urban how are you getting the team ready for the week it's not really on me it's the leadership of the team to, to sort themselves out like really feels a little bit on you as the leader of the franchise right now but okay um and then you've got you know reports that like the team was unhappy with the way he handled it and the the way he kind of conveyed it to them with individual team meetings and not in front of a not with a big full meet whatever then you got the you know break the huddle grind it just i'm not i don't like the idea usually the narrative of like hey he's lost the locker room right and i have no idea if he has or he hasn't but there's a bunch of pieces of information floating around that certainly don't say that he hasn't. So if this goes bad again, like Tennessee has not been playing particularly well this year. If Jacksonville loses again and they're 0-5 and all this stuff has been flying around, I'm just saying, it's we're, we're on a watch here. I, I agree. Um, we asked this before the season, right? I mean, how does a college coach transition? Because it's you have to communicate differently. I mean, everything's different at the NFL level. And Urban doesn't really have that experience. The other part is, I mean, college coaching is, is it, at a high level, it comes down to two things. Who can recruit? Who can develop, right? And honestly, if you can recruit, development matters, but you just get a few good, decent coaches there, which Ohio State can do and a Florida can do. You get some decent coaches there, you're going to develop players. If Urban's biggest skill set is recruiting players, that was always going to be an issue at the NFL level. And I don't know if we're just seeing that unfold here. Where it's like, okay, well, if I have a misstep as a leader or whatever, as a coach, it's okay. My players are better than everybody else in the Big Ten. I'm still going to win the Big Ten, right? I mean, you're, the, the players still are the biggest drivers of success. It just is. I mean, even in the Brady-Belichick debate, right? I mean, Belichick created this atmosphere, but we just saw Brady left. And, you know, the players are the – they drive this thing. So Urban's biggest advantage he doesn't have anymore in the NFL. So that that's already everybody's Alabama. That's that's already an issue, and now this other stuff is starting to add up. Yeah. So I was asked today, is he going to make it to Thanksgiving? It's a good question. What'd you say? I copped out. I think I said I don't know. <laughs> I still think yes. Like I think he'll make it through the season, but I really think the Jags. Here's what I think might happen: the Jags might get to the end of the season and say, okay, we have Joe Brady out there, we have Brian Dable out there, we have Eric Bieniemy out there. You have guys with a track record of making young quarterbacks better. 
Mm-hmm. And the most important thing for the Jaguars, just like the most, is, is Trevor Lawrence. Right? Same yeah. thing I say about the Bears and Fields. So they're getting, they might get to the end of the season and be like, look, is this what's best for Trevor Lawrence? We've got other options out there who are going to be better, better for Trevor Lawrence and his development. We have to, we just have to cut it off right now. And it's probably a lot of money that you're eating if you're the cons, but uh, I think I think that might end up being the right move. I mean, I think that's definitely the thing. Or it's in play. I'll say I don't know what the right, right move is. I think I'm just saying it's in play. That's definitely the thing that would get him fired is if they decide that, like, if we get to the end of this year and Trevor Lawrence hasn't improved, I would say that has a bigger threat of costing him his job than anything that's happened so far. Um, but I and do you can think argue it. Maybe there's. You know, if you're not leading off the field, if you're not leading the other 52, you're not leading the co the the, the quarterback. I mean, it could all be a factor. Yeah, but I, I do think right now, just the way everything is unfolding is something really interesting to watch because, look, Trevor Lawrence did have a much better game last week. Um, they still lost. Yeah. They lose again to Tennessee, who hasn't exactly been phenomenal, and their defense is no great shakes. All of a sudden, there's going to be a heap of pressure on it. Jaguars looked much better. I mean, from a process standpoint, they looked much better last week. They went for it on a fourth and one just before the half. They didn't get it. Everybody, oh, you should have kicked the field goal. Go up three scores. It was one of those right move, bad play call, bad result. I think they're close. It also feels like one of those weeks where it doesn't make sense. All the Jags are distracted and all this stuff. They should never win. And I don't think that really matters. I think they'll go out there and they could play a good game. They're getting four points against the Titans. Um, And the Titans have just been kind of a mess offensively because of inconsistency of who's out there. Tannehill's making good throws. They're all getting dropped. He's getting sacked on 28% of his pressure dropbacks, which is a huge number. That's a tannehill old Tannehill number that needs to cut down. Um, the right side of their line has been really bad in pass protection. There's a lot of reasons to like the Jags here if you don't think that they're immediately just going to get distracted and not be as good. I mean, there's a, like to like them covering the four. Yeah. Uh, I don't though. I think they've just <laughs> talked myself. Think the Titans win and cover. I'm just I'm just going against the grain here. Mm. Tannehill's quietly QB five in our grading because uh, all of his best throws keep getting dropped. It's bad, man. He's actually second overall in the grading because of his run grade. He has an 86.9 passer rating. So last couple of years, Tannehill's efficiency has been incredible, and he's graded well. Now he's actually grading the same, and he's not getting the same results. You're telling me there's a, there's a difference between Julio Jones and A.J. Brown and the receivers that are behind them on the depth chart? Yeah, might be. Okay. Uh, are they going to uh, – A.J. Brown was back at practice this week, right? I think he looks – he's questionable. He had limited time on Wednesday. And is uh, – what's up with Julio? He's also questionable. Questionable with the hamstring. Hamstrings are so – I mean, this was the risk with getting Julio, right? There's, there's Age very few things worse as somebody who runs around than when your hamstring goes. Like I I wrecked a hamstring at one point and I was doing this whilst coaching kids rugby. And when you're coaching, you're refereeing as well. So you have to move. And like every week, it would like heal during the week. And then when you're refereeing, you have to sprint a little bit and then yeah. bang, hamstring goes again. You're like, God damn. Like, and that's just like jogging around, you know, refereeing a child's rugby game. I can't even imagine your Christian McCaffrey who like survives off you know, elite athleticism and sprinting and being a better athlete than the dudes trying to cover you, your you're mid-run and your hamstring twangs. And now, like, I don't understand how those guys ever play through when they're recovering and it's like, oh, we're at 85%. Because your hamstring's like 100% trust. Right. You have to trust that when you open it up full sprint, 
that thing isn't going to pop That's on you, you again. you see so many guys re-injure it and it right. just keeps But they back. get put back before they're 100%. It's like, oh, they're 85 yeah. 90%, so right. we're going to strap it up, and you have to figure out how you take the top 10% off that because if you do go 100% full sprint, it's probably going to go again. All right, well... Yeah, it, that's what's it's the risky part of the Tennessee Titans offense. It's so top heavy. Julio's banged up. AJ Brown's banged up. It came back to bite last week. I'm taking the Jags, man. Nobody's nobody's believing in the Jags. No, I'm no taking not. them to cover the four. Okay. Um, I do want to see this full Titans offense be here though. The dudes got to come back. The dudes. Uh, Eagles at Panthers. The Panthers are favored by three and a half against the Eagles, who have uh, given up a lot of points over these last couple weeks. Pretty cool matchup, though. You've got Sam Darnold and Jalen Hurts at, at quarterback. You've got this Carolina defense that was awesome through three weeks. Certainly regressed against the Cowboys team last week. Uh, for me, it's you keep highlighting, man, when they blitz Jalen Hurts, it's a completely different offense. That's what the Panthers love to do right now mm -hmm. is blitz. And Hurts is a 63 grade against the blitz, 79 with no blitz. To me, that's that biggest matchup to watch in this one. Yeah, I'm also... So Philadelphia's offensive line has taken a beating um, with injuries. They... One of the things that made them look so good right at the start of the season is, hey, that entire offensive line is back healthy and they're good. Um, all of a sudden, they're missing a bunch of guys. They're nowhere near as healthy as they were. And like every team in the NFL, when you have to go into the offensive line depth chart, the bench, you're just not good. Like there's, there's a problem for offensive line quality in the NFL amongst starters, let alone the depth players. Um, so Philadelphia's offensive line just isn't anywhere near as good as it was at the start of the season. Now they're going up against this Carolina defense that was kind of taken to school last week by Dallas. Like Carolina's defense, they were the number one team in the NFL last week, right? That's Buffalo now because Carolina's got eviscerated so badly. Right. Um, it's it basically like, whoever just played Davis Mills. Yeah. Yeah, there's probably something to that. Um, but it's like, look, you're the best defense in the NFL. You go up against a Dallas uh offensive line that just it big brothered them you know like they just ran like yeah. zach martin tyron smith they just absolutely they crushed did those dudes dominate the line of scrimmage for sure so carolina probably got embarrassed a little bit by that philadelphia is nowhere near as good on the offensive line with all the injuries they have as dallas so what does that matchup look like does you know did philadelphia get something from the idea that you can kind of dominate those guys physically if you just take it to them or do they just not have the horses to get that done and Carolina's defense goes back to looking nasty now that they don't get dominated up front? For the season, the Eagles have the number three run blocking grade. Now the Cowboys are in their own world yes. at number one. Believe it or not, the Chiefs are number two. For all those offensive line additions and we talked about you know, pass blocking, it's the run game where the Chiefs additions have come through. Eagles are number three. So they do have the ability maybe, uh, even with their injuries and all that stuff, to move the ball on the ground. And I do think they want to get the run game going a little bit more they got into shootout situations the last couple of weeks and put a lot on Jalen Hurts plate but that's another thing like Hurts is playing some pretty good football um not perfect got some mistakes plays he wants back but man he's he's thrown the ball pretty well these last couple of weeks I like the way the Eagles are trending offensively defense has been bad they're playing a ton of zone they're getting picked apart even not giving up a ton of big play like downfield passes all the underneath stuff has been Pretty poor for the Eagles. That does play into the Panthers' hands in the way Darnold's playing. Uh, by the way, Darnold has settled in pretty much to like what we expected, right? So we're four weeks in. He's 21st in passer rating. Now, I'm just using this as a proxy for like production, right? 21st in passer rating. He's got a 74 grade. That's 19th. I mean, he settled in as like he took the steps forward, 
so far that we've expected, but it's not like he's vaulted into this well, top I mean, 15 yet, I don't think. No, but he, it was. it's like all based off last week. It's like Darnold took this giant step forward, looked really, really good, and then against Dallas, it all came crashing down to earth. Like before that, it was a pass rating of 102, 99, 96, and then 86, 85.5 against Dallas. Uh, passing grade of 79, 70, 76, 53. So, like, the wheels came off for Darnold along with... settled in, now we're at the Right, now it's like netting in the right place. But I'm curious, that's another thing. It's like the Dallas, or the Carolina defensive line in particular wants to bounce back and show that that was just a bad game for them. Darnold has to bounce back and show that, like, he's he's closer to the first three weeks than he was last week when the wheels fell off for him. Um, So generally for Carolina, I think this is a big game... Look, we talked yesterday on the podcast about they are making moves as if they think they're for real. For sure. Right? They're bringing in short-term solutions to problems that have arisen, meaning they think they're a playoff team. They think they're contending this year, not just making up the numbers and next year is when we're focusing on it. If that's true, you need to bounce back after losing to Dallas convincingly. Like You need to show Philadelphia that you're better than they are because the Eagles probably aren't a playoff team. This could be one of the sneaky good games of the week. I think, uh, again, it's two teams somewhat rebuilding. But you, like you said, Carolina, they're off to a good start. They're feeling good about themselves. We did break down the Stephon Gilmore trade a lot yesterday on the podcast. I'm feeling the Eagles on this, covering the three and a half. I'm just liking the way their offense is trending. I think they're going to have some success. Uh, there is the chance Carolina's blitz absolutely torches the Eagles, though, if, they're, if they yeah. attack. I felt like you were leaning Carolina the way you were talking, though. What do you think? Um... I'm actually not sure about this one. I this could be a really interesting game for Devontae Smith as well, who like he he's had a bumpy enough start to his career, but the separation, like his ability to run routes and get open is still sick. The good stuff looks really good. So it's far. still so slick at this level. And he has struggled a little bit with physicality. And you know, if you were one of those people that was worried about the fact that he was 166 pounds. You're kind of feeling good about yourself so far. Like, Jamar Chase has been fantastic. And the thing that has prevented Devontae Smith from matching Jamar Chase the most so far has been that physicality difference. Like, Trevon Diggs got in his head and beat him up a little bit. And he was just sort of physically outmatched. He's lost a couple of those deep passes. You know, in college, one of the things that that made you sort of dismiss the 166 pounds thing is that he was mossing people a lot in college. Like, he played big. Um, but he's been losing those contested catches so far this season. He's been bullied a little bit in, in when running routes, but he is open a hell of a lot, <laughs> a lot. And if Jalen Hurts just hits him a little bit more, like just gets the ball to him yeah. a little bit better, the ceiling is still there for him to be a dominant number one receiver. It just hasn't quite happened yet. I, I really think the Jarvis Landry comp uh, – not as an outside player though not a slot player where again Jarvis like disappears for certain games where just the matchup's not good but there's more good than bad in there I think I don't know if that ends up playing out with Devontae's career but good analysis by you and where he's been so far and he's now so he it's an interesting matchup this week because Carolina doesn't have uh Jalen or JC Horn um they bring in you know they've made moves right they bring in CJ Henderson they, they trade for Stephon Gilmore like, who is covering Devontae Smith, and can they, is a big question for them. All right, I'm going to take Philadelphia to cover. Where did you end up going? Uh, you didn't want to pick. You're just going to go no pick? I don't like this. Pick game. a tie, like I did last week. No, I'm not picking a tie. I was that's, very wrong that the Cardinals and Rams would tie each other. 
I will go with Carolina to win and cover. All right, let's go uh, Detroit Lions. <laughs> can't believe you're, you're a Carolina apologist now. Detroit Lions at the Minnesota Vikings. Vikings are given eight and a half. So favored by eight and a half against the Lions. What are you looking for in this one? Yeah, it, it's eight and a half. It's nine and a half in places. Like this line seems to be kind of all over the shop. Um, are the Vikings actually that good? Like... They rank 24th in PFF's ELO rankings, the power rankings, essentially. They rank 19th, I think, in overall grade as a team. They're getting almost 10 points against the Lions, who have generally been playing teams pretty hard. I just, it, they're a weird team to me, Minnesota. They seem to be sort of trapped in this world that we sort of predicted going into the season, which is middle of the pack, <laughs> like... With they're middle of the pack in in a way that you're not entirely sure when they're going to show up and when they're not. I, I think because, you know, when we do war stuff and all that, when you see how valuable quarterbacks and receivers are relative to their peers, I think that might be what makes Minnesota so tricky to predict because Cousins has been an above-average quarterback. He's been a top-10 caliber quarterback the last couple of years, throw for throw. He's been good. Mm -hmm. Justin Jefferson, I think, is – is it too soon for me to say he's almost at like Devonte Adams level? I mean, I just think Jefferson can get open. He's really good whenever he wants. It feels like. I mean, if if they want to feed him 15 targets a game the same way Aaron Rodgers does to Devonte Adams, I think they could do it. So I, I just feel like that offsets so much else, right? Just like with the Packers last year, we said, hey, they're top heavy. Hey, Rodgers, Devonte, Jair. The Vikings have that element element of it. So even if the rest of the roster isn't great and the overall rankings aren't great and all that stuff. If you can have Cousins, Justin Jefferson, and Adam Thielen out there and healthy, they can make enough plays that in any given game, they're scoring 21, 24, 28 points. And it's a, you know, it, it's a tough game. But even if the defense is bad, even if the offensive line is bad, or they force the run game too much and can't get it going, I just think the QBs and the Cousins and the, and the receivers in any given week can, can offset that. And I think that's the tricky part about the Vikings. Mike Renner posted on Twitter during the week that the Vikings so far this season have gotten nine snaps out of rookies. Um, they had more than nine draft picks. Like they drafted yeah. 11 guys or something. They have nine snaps out of rookies. Now, okay, you know, Kellen Mond is a developmental quarterback who's not supposed to see the field year one. Uh, Christian Darasaw, their number one pick, uh, should be the starting left tackle, but has been injured and hasn't got that job yet. Um, so there's a... There's factors in there that make like make some kind of sense, but to have gotten essentially nothing so far out of eleven draft picks is an issue because it's not like this roster was, you know, it's not like this was a Super Bowl roster ready. Like it's not the Bucks, right? They didn't bring everybody back and they go, let's roll it again because we're a Super Bowl team. This is a team that needed some help and hasn't gotten any help. Um, okay, they've got some guys back, you know, Danelle Hunter and Michael Pierce and the guys that opted out and free agencies and all those kinds of things. But like, where are the rookie, where are the rookies? Because they kind of need some of these guys to show up and actually make a cont contribution. See, that was one of the reasons why I thought the Vikings would be sneaky good is because they had that baseline of QBs and receivers and they had, you know, 23 draft picks or whatever over the last two years, whatever that total was, it was a lot. And you figure, okay, that just tends to trend in the right direction. You're adding youth and guys get better and they just haven't necessarily gone that way. Uh, Lions remain feisty. Feisty. Right? It's about what they are. Weren't yeah. feisty enough against the Bears last week. Not enough kneecaps being bitten. Not enough. My concern is I'll, I'll, I'll probably cite the Lions secondary every single week here. Yeah. But it's, uh, you know, just unproven young players who just... 
I mean, I think haven't it's, played all that well right now. It's fairly. I don't think it's in question that the Vikings win this game reasonably comfortably. The only question is, like, do they cover what is a pretty big line? I'm going to say that they do. I'm going to lean on the receiver, the receiver cornerback matchups. Unless unless Detroit really schemes it up to protect those guys, I just think it's too much for but the uh, the weapons that Minnesota has. The only problem with that is that the Vikings don't want to play that way. Like, you're right that Justin Jefferson could. Justin Jefferson could be one of the most productive wide receivers in the NFL if they gave him the kind of target load that would produce that. But they don't want to do that. That's not how they want to play the game. They want, like, it's like when Stephon Diggs was just getting frustrated that he didn't get the ball enough. He goes to Buffalo and all of a sudden his targets, like, explode. That's the same kind of thing. It's like if if they're getting the mismatch, sure, he's going to be productive, but they're not going to give him 20 targets in a game. Yeah. Because they just don't want to play the game that way. But that's actually... The way so I shouldn't use that as my analysis like hey Justin Jefferson's unstoppable that's why they're gonna win I mean I think again it means they'll win but like if you want to maximize covering a t- like a 10 points you need to like that's the biggest mismatch you have in this game you should be throwing in the ball 15 20 times in the game because they can't stop it if you're a Lions fan too we've got to give something to Lions fans okay something to watch every week is just how the young players develop I always use this with rebuilding teams like who's going to be a part of the rebuild what do the rookies look like just want to highlight Penesul trending in the wrong direction the last couple of weeks after a very good start and blaming right, you know, the move to right tackle for his poor grades graded in the forties each of the last two weeks. So just keep an eye on Sewell seven pressures last week against Chicago. That was uh, a tough matchup for him. Like it was, that, but that again, was I mean, those Robert are, Quinn, Robert Quinn bending the edge and getting, you know, getting with speed. And it was just, back-to-back tough ones. I mean, Quinn, but Baltimore the week before, but uh, Sewell is not moving in the right direction while Rashawn Slater continues to, you know, be really good at yeah. left tackle with the Chargers. Slater looks elite. All that said, through four weeks in 1998, Ryan Leaf looked like a better quarterback than Peyton Manning. So mm. it's early. Okay. It's early. All right, two more games to discuss. New England Patriots at the Houston Texans, the Nick Casario revenge game. Oh, God. I will take the Vikings to cover that, by the way. Oh, sorry. I didn't. Uh, the Nick Casario revenge Note that. Note that Vikings fans, Sam just uh, took the Vikings to cover eight and a half or nine and a half. I'm even taking uh, nine and a half. Let's let's call they're it nine and, nine and a half. Oh, they're going to get they're going to win by double digits. Patriots um, are favored by eight and a half against the Texans. Uh, a week ago, I remember we it was a 16 point spread for the Bills at home against the Texans, and I said you could make it 23 or whatever. And, <laughs> uh, well, I'd still take it. It was 40 to nothing. Yeah, it was a rainstorm. Yeah, uh, Bill Belichick history of dominating rookie quarterbacks. And I assume this game is just going to add to that legend. Yeah. With Bill Davis Belichick Mills. against Davis Mills just feels mean. It feels unfair. It's not. It's like when, you know, uh, powerhouse college teams schedule that, you know, week one game against like Cal Davis. Yeah. And it's just like, this is, this is mean. Like, this isn't nice. You're bullying them. Stop it. They're already dead. The Patriots aren't He's that up. good. No, they're not, but the, the Davis Mills is that bad. The Texans are that bad with Davis Mills, a quarterback. It's just, this is harsh. Uh, the Patriots and Bills are the only teams to allow negative EPA. That's expected points added. That's a great measure of offensive production. Negative EPA on 10-plus yard throws. Only teams in the league. Now, again, I've, the Bills have done this, including you know facing David Mil- Davis Mills in a rainstorm and facing aging Big Ben and the whole deal. But uh, the Patriots are the only other team in that you know, in that area. So, I mean, we're talking about the Texans probably don't score more than 10. Yeah. And then Mac Jones, who's been very good 
as far as underneath stuff, decision-making, facing a Texans team that's been pretty predictable as far as their coverages go. You pretty much know what you're going to get. Cover two on third down situations when you spread it out and the whole deal. I think I think it's just a good matchup for New England. And I don't know if that's just because it's the Texans, but it seems like a good matchup for Mac Jones and for Bill Belichick and everything the Patriots do. To me, this game is an opportunity for Mac Jones to show, to be impressive. Like it, so... Belichick is going to stomp all over Davis Mills and the Houston offense. They're going to suck. They may be score 10 points. Um, as you say, their defense is reasonably predictable. Not only are they predictable, but the way they're predictable is exploitable. <laughs> they are. It's a team that you can target. Now, Mac Jones has been impressive in a kind of well done, you laced up your shoes sort of way. You know, you know the way you like applaud a child. That's like, oh, well done. Yeah, you, you, you tied your own shoelaces. It's a good job. We don't. When uh, you get 10 years older, you, that's that's not going to be, we're not going to applaud that anymore. Yeah. You, know? you don't need to celebrate expected accomplishments. Right. You know? So, so far, Mac Jones has been like, you know, the small child that's exceeding expectations by doing something that everybody else can do without thinking about it. Um, then against Tampa Bay, it was like, okay, you know, Mac Jones, given the blitz that was thrown at him and the aggression that the Tampa Bay defense was shown, he actually looked quite impressive. Now, tried to undo it all by throwing the ball to a linebacker in the red zone. And, you know, there were some problems. It wasn't massively productive because of rain and all these kinds of things. But I think that was a step forward in terms of, all right, that was actually impressive, not just shoelace tying impressive. Now, this is a team that's kind of there to be beaten. So go out there and, you know, loosen it up a bit and let's let's show that you're for real. Like this is an opportunity to say, all right, don't just be impressive for a rookie and for a guy who's like exceeding pretty meager expectations, go out there and show that like you're for real. Like you can hang at this level and put up a big number, put up some impressive performances against a defense that's there to be taken. Like go out there and show it. You remain undefeated when it comes to metaphors. Metaphorical genius you are. Thank really you. good. Okay. So Mac Jones, been tying his shoes pretty well here, but it's time to, you know, become eight to ten years old here and, mm. you know, do something. Do something with it. Uh, just looking at what the Patriots have scored points-wise, 16 in Week 1, 25 against the Jets, 13 against the Saints, 17 against the Bucks. So just on the surface, you would say, okay, it's not like the most efficient, it's not like it's the best offense in the league here or anything. Right. And Mac Jones is getting all this praise. So to me, it's that the dots need to be connected in the red zone. That is where they stalled out against the Bucks a few times. That's where they stalled out against the Dolphins. I know Mac Jones didn't fumble away in Week 1, but again, they just there are plays on the table there and i wonder if that's the tight if that's the arm strength a little bit if that's tight window throws if that because between the 20s i think mac has been really good red zone is where things have tightened up a little bit i agree with you this is that that game where he could kind of put it all together and one thing that's not going to help him is that half of his offensive line is on the COVID list um and or questionable and you know that's going to be a problem so literally four-fifths of the line (laughs) is uh has issues yeah either questionable with injury shaq mason hurt uh, Michael and Wenu and Isaiah Wynn, the starting left side, both on the COVID list. I don't know if they're potentially back. They could be back. We'll see. Um, so, yeah, that's the one other place where it could be a bit of an issue. On the other hand, it's not like the Texans' defensive front is, you know, terrifying, even if you have to go into the bench. And the Patriots are one of those teams where the quality might drop off significantly player for player, but they generally seem to be able to get by with backup de- uh, offensive linemen. It's probably, I mean, True. It's, they have a obviously a pretty good coaching history with offensive line but it's never good when you have to go into the bench but if there's a team that can deal with that it's new england 
All right. Uh, you're just all out on Houston Mill, uh, Davis Mills, Houston. Houston Mills. And uh, Not trying out. to, just waiting for, for Tyrod to get back. No yeah. interest in Houston Mills. Um, the second Tyrod gets back, I'm more intrigued by the Texans. Davis Mills has a 35 overall grade in his, uh, in his two games. I'm just mad at myself that I year. gave him an inch, you know, when he had that first debut. And it's like, you know what? That, that wasn't terrible. I'm just disgusted with myself that I got sucked in for that. I knew. I knew. I'd watched enough of a Stanford tape, and it was upsetting. So I'm, I'm just mad at myself that I got suckered in. Brandon Cooks and Danny Amendola. Revenge game, too. Is Amendola hurt again? Anyway. Brandon Cooks is at least still pretty good for the He Texans. is, in fact, questionable with a thigh injury. There you go. I will take the uh, Patriots to cover the eight and a half. Yeah. The offensive line, though, could, could keep things that could a be a, That could be a legitimate problem. Yeah. Um, but again, I just don't it just think puts it on Mac Jones. The Texans move the ball against the Bill Belichick's defense. Yeah. Or uh, Steve Belichick's defense. Or Gerard Mayo's defense. Whoever it is. Whosoever it is. All right. Let's wrap it up. One more game. It's the London game. They're in London. Jets and Falcons. Where are they playing over... Uh, across the pond it's in uh spurs new stadium right it's in the tottenham hotspur stadium that's, Hot, like, is that london yes okay built uh it's at not great expense no built at great expense uh uh to well probably i don't imagine daniel what kind was of funding uh, this himself but what's the pitch like i i don't know this is it's a very very fancy stadium but was built partly with this in mind the idea that they would be able to host nfl games and yeah start collecting some cash from it well because like wembley always had like the beat up grass and everything right? yeah like is this is this going to be turf is this grass i assume it's grass it's probably gonna i think all premiership right? game or stadiums are pure grass is it one of those cool stadiums where you could put bring in turf bring in grass? Could, i honestly could... have no idea i just know it costs Somebody a lot of money this. you know it's... it's the jets and the falcons and the falcons are favored by three not at home but you know you understand that i live here right i live in yeah, cincinnati you're an expert on the uh, British Isles. On uh, on Tottenham's new stadium? I Yeah, I don't know. I just assumed you Ben says it. it's artificial turf. See, Ben hey, knows. Oh, Ben. See, tur- turf matters. That's it, it changes things. Calvin Ridley and Russell Gage were not spotted at the uh, at practice today. Okay. The media portion of practice. So if they don't, I mean. They have a retractable surface for rugby and the NFL. See, Ben knows about the stadium. Let's get him on. Just saying, it makes a more offensive game, I think. We'll call him in. He can tell us all about the stadium. Ben can be on our Wednesday show call in or maybe just for the stadium it's a bit late now what are you looking for in this game uh cordero patterson yeah man's a superhero the the atlanta falcons against all odds have been the team to unlock the secret to cordero patterson and how to turn him into the best playmaker in the nfl um and i'm not entirely sure how they've done it to be honest particularly while they're <laughs> they don't have any idea how to unlock the potential of kyle pitts which would seem far more obvious um but patterson's amazing the dude's an incredible player like, remember the brief period where everybody got really excited about Ty Montgomery when he made the switch from receiver to running back? Yeah. And there was a couple of games where he went off and we're like, ooh, Ty Montgomery could be the cheat code on offense. And then never really happened. Like, Patterson's doing it now. We are seeing that you put this guy in the backfield, you give him carries, and he's a really good running back. Um, you get him in space, he's really good. He's got legitimate receiving skills, even if he doesn't necessarily have the best route running ability in the world. So you can use him out of the backfield, but you can also like throw him difficult passes and the dude like one hand plucks him out of the air because he's got talent. Then you can split him out wide and have him moss a number one, like, eh, no, no, more. Have him moss a cornerback on the edge because all he's doing is running a fade. You don't need him to like tie the guy up in knots with a precise route. Like he is incredible to watch right now breaking news cordero patterson did make the first team 
all pro team. I mean, the first quarter all pro team. Second team. Though. Second first quarter is what I meant yeah. to say. Uh, first quarter, of course, doesn't really occur in the NFL season until after the first quarter of this weekend. But it's the first what percentage? Twenty three point five percent. Okay, four seventeenths. How? Uh, so we got to wait till after the first quarter, and then we can after it. the first quarter of, of the first game because we have a seventeen game schedule. We can declare the first quarter all pro team. So you can rerun that article. Maybe there'll be some me. adjustments. I should set a uh, schedule tweet. You should schedule now tweet it is when the, the first quarter. quarter of and I'll even I'll give you of the London game right so the first okay. quarter of the London game or is it the first quarter of well that's the thing what? first quarter of Monday night would have to be right sure but then all the other games it doesn't work because then all the other games have been done they're all four quarters through and that's just a mess there's going to be 64 when the first 16 quarters of football are done no because then because they're going to belong to different teams yeah that doesn't work it's broken I'm glad the league has broken I'm glad you declared it this week they've broken the first quarter all pro uh, on the other side, you know, you talked about Mac Jones having a big opportunity against the Houston Texans. I think Zach Wilson has a big opportunity against the Falcons defense that is sure. uh, not good and also, you know, banged up a little bit. Isaiah Oliver now out for the season. Uh, it's an opportunity for Zach Wilson, who I think, you know, Mac Jones has been far more consistent throw for throw. When you describe Trevor Lawrence, you describe Zach Wilson, it's been the flash plays. It's like every now and again, Zach Wilson gives a little shoulder fake and cover two shot. It's like, oh my gosh, the arm talent. Last week, the four big time throws. But from a consistency standpoint, uh, he's you know he's left plays on the table, missed, missed some easy throws, including what would have sealed the deal, I think, for them in regulation last year, last week. Um, so this could be a big coming out party for, uh, for Wilson against the Falcons. Yeah, uh, Wilson's... Wilson's wow throws, <laughs> Wilson's wow plays have been really impressive. Big time throws. Sure. Um, like he, he kind of looks like the player you would expect, you would have expected him to look. I've, I said this before last week, but I think it still holds true. Like if you had said this was going to be Zach Wilson this season without having seen him in preseason would make perfect sense, right? Like he still has the incredible plays that you saw at BYU but everything is way more difficult. So you're seeing a lot of mistakes, you're seeing a lot of bad, and the overall baseline is not tremendous. But every game, there's a couple of throws you're like, ah, like there aren't that many guys that can do this, even at this level. Um, it's only a little bit surprising because in preseason, he just made everything look good. And he was right. effortless across the board. And even though it's only preseason and that shouldn't really sway you, it kind of does. It just warps what you think overall. So... He's still a little bit disappointing compared with what you might have thought he would do. But the fact that he's able to make those incredible plays, I think, is a good thing. And then the easier the competition gets, the better he should look. So this, again, it is a game where, like, Zach Wilson's career high now in terms of single-game PFF grade is 71 from last week. He should be better than that this week. Yeah, Zach Wilson, Mac Jones, even Trevor Lawrence against the Titans. Might see uh, might see a good week for the rookie quarterbacks. I'm going to take the Jets to cover the three against the Falcons in uh, Tottenham Stadium. Yeah. Is that it? Yeah. Spurs. Yeah. Spurs. Hot, Spurs. The hot Spurs. Khaled's team. Oh, this is like Khaled's favorite football team and his yeah, favorite... Yeah. Uh, Atlanta and, and Spurs Stadium. And his favorite football team stadium. Oh, God. Don't do that. Uh, you like the Jets, Jets to, to cover three. Take the Falcons. Take the Falcons. Yeah. Any secret superstars on the Falcons you want to... Sure, there's a couple. Highlight... Well, Patterson for one. Yeah. Um, yeah. I, okay. I'm gonna go with. I'm gonna ride the Cordero Patterson train. Atlanta. 
they cover, they win. All right, there you have it. That's all 16 games preview. Well, 15 today, one yesterday, Ram Seahawks. Another great week of action here in the NFL. Of course, we'll be back on Monday reviewing all of the Week 5 games. I mean, don't forget to get to pff.com. That's where all these grades and stats come from. It's the, uh, the best place for fantasy, betting, and uh, we evaluate every player and every play. No one else does that. So go check that out at pff.com. Get your Edge or Elite package. Thanks to everybody for tuning in. Give that thumbs up if you're on YouTube, and we'll see you guys on Monday morning.